On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're taking a look back at the birth of a monster in Ryan Murphy's Ratched, having an out with suspects in the most lavish interrogation room in police history in season two of Netflix's Criminal, pulling bodies out of David Tennant's drain in ITV's Dennis Nielsen drama Dez, and watching the first instalment of Dennis Kelly's wildly ambitious three-stage drama The Third Day, which Dennis himself was good enough to stop by and talk about as well. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has managed over a hundred wildly overblown introductions to my two long-suffering co-hosts. And if you don't know who they are by this point, then I'm afraid there's no hope for you. So here in voice, if not in person, are Pilot TV's dynamic duo, Boyd Hilton and Terry White. How are we both? Whoa. I'm not sure if I can take this double double intro. I know. I know. I'm mixing it up. Yeah. You're quite nice to us. Give it time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, uh, shall we jump into what we've been watching? What have you been watching? So I watched, because I missed the pod in which you reviewed this, Away, which is obviously the Netflix, what do we call it? Space drama? Space drama? Sure. Yeah. Space drama. Yeah, it's um, a drama set in space. It's a drama set in space, right? <laughs> so this seemed to me to have all of the things I would love. Um and then I ended up angrily texting James Dyer about this, um, probably for many of the same reasons that he did. Because, you know, and Hilary Swank is great. She's incredible and everything. But why would she still go to space when her <laughs> ill husband has just almost died and her daughter is hysterically crying and is being looked after by a fake space mom? Why would you still go? Like, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. And this is not just because I've had a baby and become... Okay, maybe it is just because I had a baby and become a mother. But that... The, so the whole thing kind of frustrated me because I didn't buy the initial premise, which is that she was would just go anyway. Um, that kind of drove me a bit crazy. But I also kind of loved it. I loved... I love to hate the show. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's so melodramatic. The flashbacks just make me want to curl up in a ball and die because they're so cringe. <laughs> Parts of it are so cringe. They're like evil, bad Russian spaceman who's a sexist um, and can't handle a younger woman. I mean, all of it is so kind of um, heavy-handed and absurd, um, and I can't stop watching it. <laughs> See, I could stop watching it. That's the difference. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> The whole, the whole dad at home, dad and daughter at home is so. I mean, all of that. Oh my god! They should just. It's just. Who needs that? Any of it? It's just irritating, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That whole thread line, exactly as Spoiler is saying, it seemed completely redundant to the larger show. But also, it's like, oh, it gives you depth and conflict. No, it just makes you dislike her. Like, you just yeah. think, well, yeah. you're a really shitty parent. So anything else you do doesn't really matter at this point to me. Yeah. If you're willing to leave your teenage daughter on her own to care for your very seriously <laughs> ill husband, so yeah. you can, you know, I, I get that going on a space mission. It must be quite the thing. Um, but once that once that bit's happened, which is the kind of key to the entire show, then you're just like, well, you're a bit of a dick. Well, yeah. when we reviewed this, Beth was like, she really liked the fact that it portrayed her as like a woman who was able to have it all. And you don't normally see women being portrayed in this way, being able to have their career. And I'm like, no, it's just showing a woman who's being as terrible as your average absentee father. It's not a good thing. It's just sharing the shittiness around. Yeah, because she doesn't have it all. Because the fact that she then ends up leaving her very seriously <laughs> ill husband and daughter on Earth and abdicates for a few years... Um, 
that shows you can't have it all because she basically has this really grim choice and makes a very challenging choice. I mean, I suppose it's radical in the sense that it had it had her choosing to go to space and leaving these people behind, but it it, it kind of zaps the humanity humanity out of it. Because I can't imagine, not as a woman, just as a human being, if somebody you love, if your child is in that state and you're the person you're in love with and have been with for decades is is potentially, you know, about to die or very seriously ill. I can't imagine a human being who in that scenario is able to still, you know, mm. get yeah. in the rocket. Yeah. So the whole premise is yeah. fucked. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The whole premise. But 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 on the other hand, I imagine Martin Freeman and the creators of Breeders were watching it going, Oh, every parent just wants to go to <laughs> Mars. It's alone. a universal experience. We all want to go to Mars and leave our kids behind. Shut up. <laughs> leave Breeders alone. <laughs> oh, good times. Yeah. Boyd, what have you been watching? Well, there's a show that arrived on Netflix a few weeks ago that I was like, oh, why would anyone want to watch that? It's going to be terrible. And it's become a proper word-of-mouth phenomenon to the extent that I kept seeing people mentioning it on Twitch and everything. And I was like, I've got it. All right, I've got to check it out. Cobra Kai. Oh, yeah. <gasps> yes. It yes. started Cobra on YouTube. Kai. Yes. So this was, if people don't know, this is basically a TV sequel to the original Karate Kid films mm. with actual Ralph Macchio and uh, William Zabka as jo- as Danny and Johnny from the original, you know, Karate Kid. And the whole thing, though, is seen through the eyes of the now, whatever, 50-something Johnny, who was the antagonist in the in the Karate Kid. He was the kind of, like, spoiled rich kid as opposed to Ralph Macchio's, you know, earthy, gritty, working-class kid. And they've swapped roles completely in this TV serialised series and now um ralph macho is playing this really successful car dealer who has irritating tv ads and um johnny is down on his luck dissolute drunk twat but it's so brilliantly done it's like they've taken the essence of the karate kid somehow and turned into this smart funny um really um entertaining really addictive um, show that like episodes are like half an hour or 45 minutes maximum it's really f- fast moving and they've got the look of it it's like it's like a tribute to 80s movies so it looks like an 80s movie the soundtrack is full of like poison and foreigner you know um uh and it just works so well it's just brilliantly done it's like you know who would have thought this ridiculous idea of doing a sequel to Karate Kid in a TV series decades after the fucking thing first first went out. And it just totally works. It's absolutely great. And is it's you, all on Netflix. Is YouTube Red still a thing? I don't think it is. So I think no. so Netflix seems to have swooped in and gone, right, we'll have this from YouTube. Mm. And YouTube seems to have given up doing its own um, originations. But this, by far, this must have been the best thing that, that whatever YouTube Red was ever did. Because they did that weird sci-fi with Tom Felton as well, yeah. didn't they? Do you remember we yeah. reviewed that? Yeah, which was really expensive and boring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was both of those things. Yes. Yeah, I might give Cobra Kai a try. Actually, that's uh, you something would love it. Honestly, it's mm. it's it's just it's absolutely great. I watched the first episode. I can't believe I forgot to mention it, and right. I was like. James Dyer has presumably yeah. seen all of this twice. <laughs> yeah. But I've it's, never seen I was it. like, it's it's actually them, and it seems to have just appeared kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, it's it's like incredible, and everybody is watching it and talking yeah. about it. It's 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 astonishing. Yeah, does he sweep incredible. the leg? That's the question. Well, yeah, sweep there's references the to it. They actually, it's yeah. so confident. This is one of the best things about it. It's so confident they actually have clips of the original films in the middle. They kind of incorporate it into it, and yet, and it sounds terrible, but it somehow works. It just somehow works. It is absolutely extraordinary. 
Wow, that's one for the watch list. Yeah. Um, what have I been watching this week? I have been watching Brave New World, which I probably can talk about because I don't think it's embargoed since it's already aired in the States. But I, it just seems redundant to talk about it since we'll be reviewing it in a few couple of weeks. But uh, it's the Aldous Huxley reimagining that uh, that turned up in the States on, I want to say, it's Peacock, wasn't it? It was Peacock's thing. Yeah, it's coming to the UK on Sky. But yeah, it was Peacock's big sort of, I think it was made for sci-fi originally, but it's their big lavish launching. Peacock being NBC's streaming service. Semi-premium, semi-premium, whatever their particular model is. It's got some Really interesting things that Harry Lloyd's a lot of fun in it. Uh, I, I'm, I enjoyed the first half of it, and I shall just leave it at that. But I did watch all of it, uh, <laughs> and there's, 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 there are many things going on. But I will save it until we review it properly. I will I save this until say, we review it properly. You're doing a pre-review review. Yeah, it seems a bit redundant, yeah. doesn't it? So <laughs> let's leave Brave New World <laughs> yeah. when we actually review it. I but, think uh, uh, to be fair, I think I've done that before, so I can't. Yes, complain. you have. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, yeah. But uh, I, suffice to say, I enjoyed Harry Lloyd enormously in this. But uh, what else have I been watching? I haven't pressed on with the second season of Happy Valley yet. I'm still girding my loins as it were for that getting ready for it i will say though Sarah, you've changed that- this to what i haven't been watching now I know, yeah. you've done a, you've done a pre-review spin. review what i've not been watching <laughs> what, what, You're I've right not- <laughs> what i've not been watching this week yeah. <laughs> all the shows you haven't been watching <laughs> i will say though having seen season one of happy valley it has introduced me i now understand a lot more of what terry says because there's a lot of uh there's a lot of sort of like midlands vernacular in it so like like, wow. like your sen. When I was like, I'm sorry, what? And I rewound that. I was like, this is something Terry says. What does this mean? Um, so yeah, that was that's quite useful. So Terry, now I feel like I can communicate in you know lingo with you. Go on. What else have you got on your sleeve other than your sen? Uh, I, 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 our, our kid, our kid, another one. Who says our kid? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> your so your references really are Oasis and Happy Valley. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'd, I'd love to say it's, it's really off the mark, but it's not really. That will probably no, no. see you through. It's like Mila Kunis says that she learned to speak English from uh, from watching American TV shows. I'm learning to speak, I would say Northern, but you're not. So Midlander no. from watching uh, Happy Valley. So that's great. Excellent. Excellent. Shall we move on now to a listener question? And this week's listener question comes from Lavina, uh, whose Twitter handle involves far too many numbers for me to read out. But she says, question for the Pilot TV pod, what is your favourite slow burn TV romance? I'm talking season-spanning, teeth-gnashingly frustrating, Josh and Donna type thing. That's a West Wing reference. And uh, and she says, oh, she says, love the pod so much. It's been really getting me through. So you're welcome. Thank you. Um, so come on then. Slow burn TV romances. I mean, this is a great question. Can Isn't we just it? say that off the off the get go? Come on, people, yeah. raise the game. They, this has raised the bar for, for pilot questions. Learn <laughs> from this. This is really good. This is really good. Um, so I've got quite a few. Um, Piper and Leo in Charmed. So obviously, I was going to have a Charmed in there, and they do, and they are married for much of it. But it's it it spans pretty much from the first episode to the finale. There. Their ups and their downs and their splits and their kids and the he's a white lighter and she's a witch and we all know that that is a prohibited romance especially when he's her white lighter especially when history's repeating because her mum had an affair with her white lighter so th- this slow burn has everything um and they're probably my number one but then i also want to say rose and the tenth doctor and yes i would class that as a romance before isn't, anybody starts isn't that with a bit me. creepy why? That's a, that's a bit. Surely that's a bit 
Me Too-ish, isn't it? Well, like, because he's a million she's years what? old. Yes, she's a grown he's woman. a million years old and she's about 19. No, they're, they no. are like truly in love. And she is of an age. And um, <laughs> they, you know, they've seen the final scene when they're in parallel universes um, and he goes to say he loves her too because she goes... <gasps> <laughs> like that on the beach and he goes okay oh, i suppose i should say it and he takes a breath in to say it and he disappears i'll also say tim and dawn office classic amazing that the moment in the christmas special where she walks back in and you see her crossing the office to get to him and taps him on the shoulder incredible i'll also say pacey and joey in dawson's creek don't even come at me with fucking dawson and joey (laughs) (laughs) team dawson my ass he bought her a wall is all i've got to say to that and i would as a point of order like to say i don't want to hear anything about spike and buffy oh really well, um, because as I always like to point out to people, we do remember the attempted rape yes, of Buffy by Spike, right? Which I think negates it from being a slow burn romance. Yeah, yeah. Slow burn I, I, romance I, I with attempted that. rape. It's, it's, it's funny because you get that scene after she's died, she comes back and you have that reunion thing where he's just broken. And yeah. then it does get a bit unfortunate with the, yes. That's not yeah, good. which I think was a storytelling error, personally. Yeah, because I think it wasn't what, great, was it? Because no. you never that character never recovered from that for me. I was just no. like, no. And he wouldn't as much as the evil things he did in the world, and you know, even when he was the most feared enemy of Buffy, he would never have done that. And once they crossed that line with him, it ruined his character, but also their relationship. And I can't look at their romance as a romance with that violence that at the fair. heart of it. So they're I'm, my opening gambits. I'm disappointed, Terry, that you haven't mentioned Lady Mary and Cousin Matthew because <laughs> that goes on for fucking ages before they get together oh, yeah, and there are misunderstandings yeah. and like yeah. ships yeah. are passing the night. Like it goes on and on and on and then obviously it ends badly for everyone. Mm-hmm. Benson and Stabler, although in SVU, although there is an actual, <laughs> there's never a kiss, there's never, there's just sparks and feelings and so I didn't include that because I felt like there has to be an expression of romance whether it be a kiss or you know a little bit more yeah it's like the great I always think that you need like the great will they won't they have to have a resolution like because so many Mm. especially procedural shows you know like Lucifer's built on this isn't it the will they won't they gets drawn and drawn and drawn although Lucifer they obviously it does get resolved to a certain extent but it's the ones, like, it needs to come to a head. Like, Ross and Rachel was for the longest time, wasn't it? That big will they, won't they, which, of course, they did. That That's the one I think that most people would probably fall to, isn't it? Or Sam and Diane from Cheers, if we go back a little bit further. Mm-hmm. I, I was reminded of the worst, the worst will they, won't they um, romance in the history of television is, of course, um, Niles and Daphne in Frasier, which ruined the whole fucking show. And I was weirdly, weirdly, this week, because I watch Frasier repeats every day on Channel 4. That's my kind of first thing I do in the morning. They're on about 8, 8.30 in the morning. And this week has been, last week and this week has been the start of that, where, you know, they get married and it just ruined the whole show. It made the last few seasons almost unwatchable. There's some great episodes that just avoid them completely and they're fine. But any episodes that centred around Niles and Daphne, it was just awful, just disgusting disgusting, annoying, irritating. And yet the seven or eight seasons building up to them never being able to get together and in fact being completely secret and Niles never telling Daphne that he was obsessed with her was were brilliant. That was one of the great slow burn 
you know, non-romances. Well, they weren't romances ever. Um, and, and so, but I completely, but, but um, Terry's ruined all my ones because The Office, Tim and Dawn, I think is the greatest. Tim and Dawn is the greatest romantic comedy relationship of all time in film, in TV. It's Steady. so beautifully judged. It is. It, it's extraordinary. Every, st- every single scene that is anything to do with them from the first episode through to the, the last two that finished it off the Christmas specials. Absolutely incredible how, how brilliant that was. Um, so yeah, they're my mate. I was going to mention Queer as Folk though as well, which because Queer as Folk really the original Russell T mm. Davis Queer as Folk um, was all about Vince and Stuart um, and their and the, uh, the unrequited love that Vince has for Stuart. Stuart being the, the this kind of guy who will sleep with sleeps with different guy every night. That's his whole like reason for being is to sleep with different people constantly and never have any kind of relationship. Whereas Vince really just wants to be in a relationship with Stuart and that goes on and on it builds i remember in this in the second series they kind of it became even more of a thing and then of course in the end they kind of there's this kind of fantastical ending where they go off together um hopefully for eternity but that whole thing was built around that relationship and that was brilliantly done mm. it's funny lavina mentions the josh and donna type thing and that's the I mean, obviously the west wing is my favorite show and that's the classic sort of will they won't they thing in there that said i was never invested in that relationship not for one minute because there's such a power differential not just because she's his assistant but like all because had the nature of her character is she is the voice of the audience she is the character who asks the stupid questions so that josh can patronize her and explain the plot to the people watching so their whole dynamic is him patronizing her that's the whole thing and i never felt that that made for a great dynamic between them her asking questions and being like oh donna and then like explaining it to her i was always team amy like amy gardner and josh those were the ones i wanted to stay together and like she floated in and out of his orbit but she used to she was really smart and electric and they used to bounce off each other and she used to run circles around him a lot of the time i felt they were a much better match i think the donna the way the josh and donna thing does resolve is is actually quite well done because there's more parity between them at that point but yeah i i'm very much team team amy for uh for westering but in terms of other ones these we've not mentioned Mulder and Scully was one that I was incredibly oh, yes. invested in for an incredibly long time um especially that bit where they kiss and then there's a bee and the bee stinks and oh my god <laughs> alien bees get involved that's what I'm saying that that's you know it's a whole different um and more recently I would say Robin and Strike is one I'm quite invested in oh yeah mm. yeah, yeah that's a good one yeah, yeah. really good mm. I mean, that that to me works very well because they yeah. clearly you know especially because her husband was such an asshole yeah he's a massive bellend and that that relationship I think is the best thing about that it is yeah. serious. It it's, is yeah. some of the let's face it, some of the mystery stretch credulity. <laughs> I'm just leave it at that. But their relationship is great. Yeah, I love the thing that they like. This has come up quite a few times when we've watched shows where it's just like you know the collection of dreadful bell end boyfriends that some of these people in these shows have. But hers is quite extraordinary. Like he's no way on her level to begin oh. with, and has cheated on her multiple times, which she oh. knows about, and he's just yeah. the worst. And you're just like, what's happening? Yeah, and he's borderline coercive. And oh, you he's know, awful. Mint- he's yeah. Just awful. Absolutely, Absolutely awful. Yeah. Last one I want to throw out, and I saw on the internet people were saying uh, Tormund Giantsbane and Brienne of Tarth. And I was like, no, no, it's it's Jamie and Brienne in this. Like they have a real yeah. thing which yeah. goes over seasons where right. they have this like he starts by being abusive and unpleasant to her, you know, super dashing Jamie and Brienne, who is, you know, supposed to be unattractive in the novels. And gradually they have this respect that builds up. Like he gives her the sword. There's a bit on the battlements at River Run where he just looks down and she's leaving and he kind of says goodbye and stuff and eventually comes to a head and he's an asshole to her but nevertheless i think that's really well played out because that does go over years and it's kind of it's in the background bubbling along but it's it's nice days shame that didn't end slightly differently 
Any more for any more? Or are we done? Uh, I think we've covered it. I think we're done. Okay. <laughs> well, Lavina, I hope that answers your question. If you have a question on a par with Lavina's excellent one, which you would like to send to us, then do send it to us via DM on Twitter at Pilot TV Pod, and we will track it down there. Time now for this week's guest, the creator of the original Utopia, and this week purveyor of a brand new show, The Third Day, which draws together three interconnected stories revolving around a strange island and a live event. More on that later. Uh, But you're far better off hearing about it from the man himself. So here is Dennis Kelly, the man behind The Third Day. Uh, Welcome, Dennis Kelly, to the Pilot TV podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, nice to speak to you. And you. Um, so we're talking about The Third Day, this extraordinary uh, project. Um, it's going to be on Sky Atlantic and Now TV, Jude Law, Naomi Harris. You've co-created it um, with Felix Barrett of Punch Drunk, the theatre company. Yeah. But I have to say, we've been waiting for this. This was originally planned to air, wasn't it, back in the spring? Yeah. And um, we interviewed you in, in Pilot TV magazine, in fact, and uh, we ran a whole feature. And then, of course, the virus happened, the pandemic happened. So now it's about to go out now. How do you feel about the whole thing and how has the delay affected it? Has it made it much more complicated because you have got this extraordinary live thing happening yeah. in the middle of it? How, how is it all going to work? Well, it was, It was. I mean, it, I thought we'd sort of, when the pandemic started happening and, and all these production companies, production started closing, I was sort of thinking, we're sorted, don't, don't have to worry about that. We shot it all. And of course we hadn't, <laughs> you know, we'd, we still had to produce it. And uh, so the, our producer, Adrian Sturgis, just had to do this insane task of like making sure that people could, um, you know, people could do it from their own house. It was just silly things like internet. You know, if a director didn't have the right internet, they didn't have enough bandwidth to download the things. So, so they were doing all this stuff remotely that, that you normally see in a room. So it was really, really difficult. So we had to delay it, you know, and then, but in a way that sort of, I think it might have turned out for the better because it meant that the live event, initially the live event was a 10,000-person music festival that became a 2,000-person music festival that became a 750-person, you know. And when it got down to 20, we thought, right, that's it. <laughs> you know, right. um, this isn't going to work. So instead, you know, Felix and the Punch Drunk guys have totally reimagined it, you know. And it's it's now it's good. The idea is it's it's basically one shot. It's the festival, that uh, you know, the the... Festival will go ahead as it normal as it does every year on OC, which is like a just the locals doing the festival. Um, they're no longer going to have this big music festival, but um, it will it, it will be one shot. Jude Law um, is in it, you know, um, and it's it's going to be it's going to be mad. It's going to be crazy. Um, and explain. So we should explain that this this has got the unique structure of you got an opening story of three episodes with Jude Law's yeah. character arriving mm-hmm. on this on OC which is this real island that exists in Essex that island. you have to real island um, and then there's this live event in the middle and then there's a second three episode yeah. uh, story connected story with Naomi Harris Yes. Uh, as the lead, isn't it? Now I've I've seen the first episode, which is which is fascinating and intriguing, and I'm desperate to see the rest of it now. Was it did did this evolve as a story you had in your head anyway about this with this setting with this idea, or did it evolve from the idea of doing this unique unique structure of mixing drama, TV drama, and a theatrical event? Well, a bit a bit of all of it really. I mean, the first thing that happened was Felix from Punch Drunk came to me and said that they they wanted to do something that's they wanted to be involved in TV, but they also wanted to do something that went from TV into uh, into live, you know. And we figured the, best, the it seemed the best way to do it was uh, you know to have th- 
three separate separate um, sections to it, um, and uh, it was really the, they had Felix. Had, there wasn't any story or characters or anything like this, but they had some interesting sort of research materials, some sort of folklore research materials, and it seemed like that was the way we would go. Um, but like I say, there was no characters or themes, and I think I'd been sort of playing with this. In my mind, for a long time, I'd wanted to write about grief and how grief can affect people and how different aspects of grief, grief can, um, you know, uh, it's something that we'll all, everyone will feel, but you're always unprepared for it. And it will do, it can do really strange things to your head. You know, it can, it can really change you as a person, you know, and, um, and, but once coupled with that, we then found the island, you know, Felix found this, uh, this island, OC Island, which as you say, is a real island. You can only get there via causeway. Um, that's, so that's twice a day. You, you've, you've got a two-hour window to get on or off, and then you've got to wait, really, for the causeway. You've got to wait another 12 hours for the causeway to open. You know, so it's a crazy, crazy place. You know, But once we were on the island, it really started taking shape. You could really feel it, it became much – I could see which way it needed to be written. I could see the stuff. I could the, the, the feeling of being sort of trapped on that island, you know. And as you say, the, the, we have these – three very separate um, stories. They're, they're, they're interconnected stories, but they're separate in that they feel like we have a different filmmaker making uh, the first part, Summer, Mark Munden, and then you have Philippa Lothorpe making the second part. And normally in TV, the sec- you know, you just get directors to direct like the first one, but we've actually, you know, encouraged Philippa to sort of run with it and do her own thing. So each part feels quite different. And the tone of Sunday, the tone of the the episode I've seen so far is it's it's intriguing. It's got that kind of it's got kind of creepy, paranoid yeah. vibe of Jude Law not yeah. really knowing what's going on in this very strikingly odd world. And I guess of being an outsider among this community. And you've got Paddy Constant. I thought was 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 terrific as this kind of guy who's constantly smiling and grinning and being very happy. But the more yeah. he does that, the creepier the creepier he gets. <laughs> yeah. Was yeah. that? Was that did that tone was that tone there from the start of this kind of strange strangeness kind of askew slightly askew world? Yeah, it was because I think what I wanted was I wanted him to come to an island that on the surface feels kind of it's quite idyllic in some ways. You know, on the, on the surface it's like you know it's this small community and you know you get the feeling if that if you were in trouble they'd help you out that sort of thing. But underneath it all there is something that's slightly sinister, and so we want we it was about sort of that slowly building up and i mean you get introduced to that at the beginning in the first episode but it really ramps up quite a bit in episode two and by the time you get to episode three it's it's gone quite nuts and then it's sort of like it, it, it sort of resets again for episode four which is a different story with naomi harris you know it feels like you know it's a completely different um that the island has changed and you're in a you're in a different story and it's just got that different feeling but yeah it, it was it was about sort of presenting something that like I say on the surface feels like feels like somewhere you'd want to stay you know but what the more you stay there the more you kind of think what's going on here yeah yeah and what was it like filming there presumably you're filming in this place where you can go on and off twice a day as well and you know how did the cast and crew deal with that whole being there uh, it is really really difficult filming there it's really it was really hard it was one of the um I mean, you, you can only get on, on and off twice a day. I mean, you can actually get a boat there, but even, even you, you, I mean, you've got to call a bloke up 
who turns up at a certain time and meets you in a certain place and takes you across in this bumpy boat. You know, it's not like there are boats there. But it, even then, you can only do that at certain times of the day as well. Because So there are like four hour, two or three hour windows where you cannot get on or off the island, you know. And of course, we had all these, this, and, and the causeway itself is a Roman causeway. They have to resurface it every year. And of course, we had all these huge articulated lorries bring, bringing all this film equipment on, which wasn't, you know, kind of was quite difficult over this bumpy little causeway. And, you know, and, and if you forgot something, you, it stayed forgotten. <laughs> like you do, there's no, and there's no shops there. No one, no one really actually lives there, even though we've created a, a, a village. There, is, there are houses there. The guy who owns it uses it for sort of all sorts of interesting things. Like, but people can go on holiday there. You know, it's a strange little place, but there's no, um, there's no infrastructure there to, you know, you, if you want to, you, you want to get a Snickers, you, you, you've got to wait until the causeway opens, go get your Snickers and come back again. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. Um, and, and in terms of writing it, did, was the writing process, was it different from what you've done before? Considering you had to have this, the live thing in the middle and you're working with the punch drunk people and all of that, or yeah. was it, did you just write it in the same way you'd, you've written your TV work before? In some ways it wasn't. I mean, everything you write is always new. And every time you write, you always don't know what you're doing. You, it always feels like, you know, the first time you write, you always think, I've got no idea what I'm doing. And, you know, uh, I think, but with this one, what, what sort of made it, what stopped it from being too weird and different was it was really important very early on that you would be able to watch the TV and not necessarily see the live event because we knew that back then the live event wasn't really being broadcast it was only going to be available to a certain amount of people and even though that was a large amount of people it was very small compared to what you would want to actually see the show and um, so we we felt that um i knew that you you had to sort of create a show that lived on its own terms anyway you know i think if you do engage with what's going on in the live you're going to get a lot more definitely but you can just watch the show. So that that sort of made it much more like a normal show. But I mean, the, the tone of it was just odd. You know, the tone of it was strange. It was great working with Punch Drunk because, you know, Felix Felix's tendency is always to hold stuff back. And, you know, my tendency was to, was to you know, tell story and get story down. And what what was interesting was that some, somewhere in between that, is where we is where we ended up and i really like it i think it feels you know it's it's sort of we are holding stuff back and it's it's not quick tv but at the same time it's not one of those frust hopefully it's not one of those frustrating shows where you you know about four episodes in you're going come on tell me what's going on this is just this yeah. is just weird you know like i i, I get very frustrated when i see a show that it's just sort of arbitrarily weird or strange or is not going to deliver i think you've got to deliver you've got to you know, yeah. you, you make you make a sort of a, a promise to the people that are coming to watch it that it is going to do something, and it can't just be sort of fluff. You know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say by the end of episode one, you're also already parceling out kind of key bits yeah. of information of that, fill, fill, yeah. filling us in into what's yeah. going on. I wonder what it, where I remember when it was first announced. This project, I, I felt like, oh, this is so exciting as a kind of idea, um, and it felt like almost like maybe a reaction to how do you do something unique, genuinely unique and different in this world of what we call, whether you want to call it peak TV or whatever, where you know all the some of the greatest creative people in the world are working in television, yeah. aren't they? Is, is, was it partly a reaction to that? How do you do something completely new that hasn't been done before? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it, it was. Um, I think for. Certainly for Punch Drunk and Felix, they, 
you know, their theatre is quite innovative anyway. It's it's not like a normal, it's not like you go and watch a play. You end up wandering around these um, huge spaces and you find the story and you may not find the story because, you know, it depends where you go, you know. And it's, so it's a, they, they're, they're already doing something that's quite um, unusual, you know. And, and I suppose it was, the question was, is not so much how do you do that on TV because you, 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 you don't want to do that on TV, you know. It, it wants to be a... It wants to be a series. It doesn't want to be a punch drunk show on, on the telly because it, it can't be, you know. Um, but I suppose the question is how, how are you going to tell a story in a different way, you know. And not We didn't want it to be arbitrarily different either, you know. It doesn't want to just feel like, um, oh, we're just, going to throw, we're just going to throw a live element in, you know. It actually wanted to feel like the story itself was allowing that to happen, you know. But, yeah, I think, I think at the moment we're in a period in TV where – it's large i think it's being led by the audiences i think the audience is so sophisticated and and the more sophisticated the audience gets the more sophisticated the tv gets and the more sophisticated the tv gets the more sophisticated the audience gets and so it's it, but but i think really you're, you're being led by the fact that the audience is just not as interested in yeah you know, yeah you, you can watch a you can watch a series that's a really traditional series and you can just love it it's great it's no, nothing wrong with that but at the same time you do need to push you like the we, we want we want people to push things and to tell stories in different ways yeah absolutely yeah do you think that because because I, I get I, I think it's definitely true that um tv tv particularly drama but also comedy maybe is is kind of visually is, is more cinematic than ever and sometimes like you know yeah. this, this this feels like an incredible beautiful looking film but do you think the writing is also getting more ambitious in a way as well? Because you know, there's and people are people are playing with time and um, flashbacks. Flashbacks seems to be structure and structure seems to be much more of an engagement with that kind yeah. of thing in TV. Yeah, there is, and, and things that things that you know, um, even only four or five years ago would have been really unusual and difficult to cope with, are kind of you know we can do it now. It's really it's it's fine, and and I think the people that the, the program makers are looking for that, the really good ones, you know. They're, they're, they're actively asking, you know, what, 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 how can we do something that is not being done somewhere else, you know? And actually, it was interesting. We, this has been, we've been talking about doing this for about nine years. You know, we first started talking about it nine years ago. I mean, obviously, we've gone off and done other things, but we've been developing it for that amount of time, really. And a, a large part of that was finding the right partners. You know, I think we could have probably had it on a good four or five years ago if we'd have been willing to lose the live event because that's the most complicated strange and easily kind mm. of like when 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 it gets difficult when budgets are sort of be, be, being examined and when you know you're 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 there's other shows that are going ahead and your show's being looked at and people are going why should we do this the easy, the thing that always looks gets on the chopping block is the most difficult thing and because the live event is the most difficult thing we knew that would be the thing that would be vulnerable so we, we weren't willing to do it really until we were we found the right people who would agree to do either all or nothing that was it for us it was like you do it all or you do nothing you know um you can't just do the tv and uh it, we, we were lucky it, it, that we got sky and hbo because they really embraced that in fact if they they they, they were very excited about the live event yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember watching an issue where you talked about how very early on that a kind of not compromising about the most important thing of a of, of a of a show or a story is is really important right from the start. You, yeah, because you know, I think it, it it takes a long time to make these things. You know, it it takes a hell of a long time, and I think it's just it's just soul destroying sort of working on something that you when you know in your heart it 
you've you've only done you know you, you're doing it at 60 percent of what it could be you you, you, you want to do things to the to full you know and if, if if they don't work you know then it's better to sort of be you know beaten up for your own mistakes than someone else's do you know what i mean yes yes absolutely yeah um you mentioned that mark mark munden's directed the first um three episodes he also yeah. obviously directed <laughs> utopia i have to ask you about the the american the long mooted uh, uh american yeah. versions arriving pretty soon now isn't it what, what i noticed you're, you're an ex- you've got an exec producer credit which can mean anything in this day and age what it's, what has been yeah. your involvement in that in that project I, I have to be honest and say very little actually the okay. the um i i read scripts back when um the last time i read scripts i think was when back when fincher was on, on uh, david fincher was on board uh, so that was quite a while ago um but i i really like the script i mean i've i've, I've had chats with gillian who's 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 um you know the uh, writer, showrunner on it, and my my impression was that she she was great, and I loved her scripts, and she was really nice to me, and you know I I, I sort of said you know I, I'm here to talk to her whenever you want, but and she was very lo- lovely about saying yeah of course, but I think really she needed to make it her own, you know, and and she, I think mm. she's done that, and I and I think it's you know that's that's the right thing to do. If it was me, that's what I would do. I wouldn't want the you know I wouldn't want sort of a, the the original the person who did the original hanging around like a creepy uncle, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'd want to yeah. go off and do it. I'd want to go off and make my own version. So I don't really know a lot about it. I've seen the first couple of episodes, they look great, you know, but okay. I've not really involved, not met any of the key people and stuff. And from the trailer, it looks, it looks different. It looks, has, it looks like yeah. it's got a different visual quality to it. Well, I think that's right. You know, I think that's right. Cause yeah. my, my feeling back in when we first started talking about doing it again, you know, there's always whenever you when you first start that conversation, there's a there's a moment right at the beginning where you're sort of saying, well, should should you do it? You know, should I do it? Should I go over there and do it? And mm. my I it didn't even need to think about that because I just thought I've done the version that I've done and I'm really proud of it. I worked with some amazing. It was a brilliant collaboration with people like Mark and Uller and people like this. You know, I I, I just and Christo. So I felt like I, there was no point in me trying to do it. You know, because I knew that the version that I believed in was that version. And that version, um, you know, I'm immensely proud of that version. But it, was, it wasn't it was sort of a, uh, it, it, it wasn't something that would reach a huge audience. It was it would reach a small, a small audience, but that audience would really care about it. And that was, I'm really happy with that. That's, I like that. But I think there's a version of Utopia. I've always felt there's a version of Utopia that can reach a much larger audience. And I think this version mm. can probably do that, you know. I, I do, it, it does feel like with the themes you're exploring in Utopia and also with this, I feel like there's a kind of religion, uh, interest in religion and, and, and almost like yeah. cult, cults and all of that, which goes back to Utopia for sure. And I feel like now it feels incredibly um, foreshadowing of where the situation we're in now with things like QAnon on all these, you know, it seems like yeah. conspiracy theories are getting more and more um, Gosh, popular. Yeah. Do you feel that way as well? I'm stunned by the conspiracy thing. Like I, I when I wrote Utopia, I, um, I wrote I wrote it because I, you know, I, 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 you know, I think I was on the set of pulling, and, and someone there said that they, um, you know, they they believed that the moon landings hadn't happened, and I was really shocked, and I was going, yeah, you, you, of course. I mean, how how difficult it would it be to? I think they 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 worked out that it would take something like two million people to keep quiet to to. to you know, yeah. to sort of fake the moon landings. And, you know, it's it, it sort of, um, I was really surprised, but then I was, we, we, this conversation went on and I remember I turned around to the set and saying, all right, who else believes this? And I was surprised. It was probably about 30 or 40% of people put their hands up, you know, 
And, wow. and that was when, when I decided to, I got interested in conspiracy theories from a fiction person who makes things up point of view, you know, because, you know, I think the majority of them are made up. I, I, I think, you know, but it surprised, yeah. I'm surprised by how many people think they're real. And actually how many people think, I've met people that think Utopia is real, you know, and I've, I've had to say oh, to them, no, I'm, I made that stuff up. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, uh, but it's, it's funny how, but what, what's been interesting in the in intervening time is how kind of now they're common currency. Like we, you have someone in the white house that tweets, uh, and you, you know, yes. QAnon, it's, it's insane that stuff. You know, you've got a yeah. congresswoman who actively sort of supports that stuff. It's absolutely, so well, the 5G coronavirus thing that was the latest one that 5g is you know and it, it doesn't really take you know i had a, i had a you know I've, we've got a, a, a one-year-old and and i you know um, i remember when my partner was was pregnant someone sending her all this stuff about how wireless was really bad for you know and, and you for you know and you look into it and there's no science supporting any of this in fact there's science saying the opposite you realize that you know wireless is on the same spectrum as say your light bulb if you if you think if you think wireless is a problem you should definitely turn off all light bulbs because it's <laughs> light bulbs are much higher in radiation than than wireless you know and but but there's something in us that wants to believe these fictions we're much more in we're much more interested in believing the fiction than the real thing yeah you mentioned pulling um the classic uh, comedy you, made, you wrote and made with with Sharon Horgan I rem I wanted to ask you about the pilot you made, you wrote with her, um, the circuit, which I loved, which was this oh, yeah, incredible yeah. show about a yeah. dinner parties, the kind of middle yeah. class dinner party set, and the, which never made it to series. Is there any chance ever of that coming back? Because that was such a great pilot. Don't that, um, know. We talked. You know what? We talked about. Um, we talked about doing it in a slightly different way. Um, uh, yeah, it was a shame that we really. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there was something there. I think it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a bummer that it didn't go to series because I do think there was something there, and we were going to, you know, we were going to follow it with more of this, more of the same, and just, you know, sort of. And again, we we had quite a, um, an unusual. We were going to approach telling the story from a slightly different standpoint. It wasn't just going to be very linear. This a story would sort of emerge after you'd seen three or four of these um, supposedly different sort of episodes, but. It was a shame, really. We really enjoyed doing that. Yeah. Uh, I'm well, glad you liked I, it because it's funny, though. Yeah, it's funny, those things, because yeah. you sort of do them and then they sort of, you know, they kind of disappear. So I'm glad you liked it. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, in terms of lockdown, I'm asking everyone this. Have you, with anything particularly you've enjoyed, you've enjoyed watching, have you, have you been catching up with TV stuff or have you been uh, working I, yourself and writing your own stuff? I've been working myself into an early grave and because... <laughs> Because we've got, okay. you know, my partner also works, and we we've got a, a, a one-year-old. We, we uh, obviously childcare just went out the window, and and um, we've, you know, we've spent a lot of time looking after our daughter, you know. Um, but yeah. I've well, things I've really enjoyed. I, I really love devs, actually. I really love devs, and, oh, and yeah. uh, I just saw I may destroy you, and I thought that was amazing. That's an incredible piece of work. Those are the two things that stand out as um, just really innovative pieces of. Uh, writing and and show show making as well. Those are the two for me. I think. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. Devs was extraordinary. I'd say those, those would be my top two shows of the year. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Devs. I, I, I agree, absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah. Visually, Devs was just, was stunning, wasn't it? And and I, I love things that explore that like have to go big. <laughs> you know, that the biggest yeah, ideas was, of all. And it just allowed, allowed itself to be really slow. Like you'd see entire episodes that you just thought, God, the script must have been tiny. It was like. <laughs> 
but, yes. but, it, but it's really yeah, it, it allows room for some really beautiful filmmaking and i just thought i may destroy you it was just as a writer it's quite it's just quite inspiring because you know she just sort of i thought the the truth in the show was just really uh bold but also as a writer she, she you know you see stuff like that and you're inspired to sort of write better because she's you know she sort of it would just jump off into areas that you didn't think it needed to be in and then suddenly you'd realize it absolutely needed to be there you know they're both i think yeah. they're both incredible pieces of work yeah yeah totally agree yeah uh dennis it's been brilliant talking to you thanks so much and good luck with uh, the third day can't wait to see the rest of it great thank you very much thank lovely you. talking to you that was dennis kelly and time now for this week's news who would like to begin can we start with the uh cancellation of Giri Hadji, mm. maybe, which mm. we talked about last week because we I, I said, oh, I wonder why they haven't announced the second season. I really hope they're not going to cancel it. And a statement has been put out. I like to think in direct response to my musings, um, yeah. saying it's fucking cancelled. I mean, guys, boy, you yeah. must be in, incensed. Uh, infuriated yeah i said i tweeted yeah it is infuriated and it is just incredible and we we talked a, a little bit last week about how this was a net, partly funded by netflix i think in the end quite a lot funded by netflix mm. um along with the bbc and it seems to be part of you know the whole netflix thing of not recommissioning really it's most daring bold and creative shows they seem to abandon after one or two series it's really really annoying don't just don't give us these in, the the most interesting formally uh creative and inventive stuff and then just let and, and then not stick with it it's mm -hmm. it's 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 really yeah it, it's making me furious to think about it all over again so yeah I, it, it's so annoying and it is people are saying it is as i said last week it's it's it, you can t it, thankfully it's a self-contained story and it has a begin it has an end but equally the characters that could have carried on and been in in further series and i know the creator joe barton had ideas would have been great as well and it, you know to, to be robbed of that is is devastating <laughs> for fans of the show and for the right and for the creator of the show obviously mm. I, don't, I genuinely don't understand it because the reviews were pretty much across the board raves and baftas you know, there were baftas and awards and it just seems bizarre to me it seems like one of those things where and as you say, the first season may have been a complete story, but since when has that ever stopped anyone yeah, right, making yeah. a second yeah. season of something well, really good? And the creator wanted to do more. That's the yeah. thing. He, he had. Yeah, he, he's been you know, clear. Yeah, he made it clear. I think I, it's such a weird. I think it's one of those shows because it is. It is because it is so unusual and such a kind of um, mix of genres and all of that. Those are the things that people find difficult to market, aren't they? And, mm. and kind of and get behind in that way because when it aired. It was like he himself, I think Joe Barton's alluded to this, how Netflix almost didn't even realise what they had and then mm. they put, then it arrived on Netflix and it looks amazing on it and people discovered it by word of mouth. The BBC, I don't think they realised what a gem they had. It was fairly, I would say, slightly, you know, untrumpeted by them. You know, it certainly wasn't. And and that's the, it's too original. It's too unique for um, people to deal with, for some, for, for, I think for those TV executives and those commissioners to deal with. 
it comes down to what their objectives are. I know this isn't a purely Netflix thing, but like you always just look at HBO and HBO were less bothered you know, back when they were putting out things like The Wire and The Sopranos, they were less bothered, it seems, by, you know, viewing figures, because a subscription mm. service, more about critical acclaim and prestige, because it brought prestige to the whole package and people were more likely to subscribe. So you kind of got that. So if their whole thing was quality, whereas the networks were all about ratings, 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 because for advertising. Whereas with Netflix, they seem to have this mutant algorithm around acquisition strategy where they like it's almost like they give each show like a percentage score as to how likely it is to acquire them new subscribers and in there we've talked about this before like they say in season one it's very high in season two it's slightly lower but it drops off a cliff after season two which is why so many shows don't make it to a third season because they're no longer acquiring them to a sufficient level to justify the budget so i do wonder whether something like this which is sort of prestige it's awards it's great but you know is it putting you know bums on subscriber pages Possibly not. And maybe that's why they end up pulling the plug on these things. But part of their strategy must be about prestige. Like exactly what you're saying about HBO, right? Which was all around, um, we are the channel. Um, Here is a statement of intent about the kind of people we are, the kind of people we want to reach. And I understand Netflix is different, but I think, you know, think about The Irishman. Scorsese made it with Netflix because no no studio, (laughs) no traditional film studio could afford his budget. And you're not telling me they made anywhere near that money back no. in new subscribers. But presumably they wanted it to be known that they were a place for great filmmaking and for films like The Irishman and for filmmakers like Scorsese. That mm. was a statement about who Netflix were. And you'd think the same with Giri Hadji, wouldn't you, To in a different degree, which is we are part of creating these really bold and daring and completely innovative and original shows that maybe wouldn't exist without us isn't that for me would be a benefit that far outweighs x number of subscribers i wonder with them it's more sort of headline based like scorsese Mm. chooses netflix for his next big gangster thing is worth its weight in gold whereas this english slash japanese language lauded drama it maybe doesn't have the cachet that they can monetize in the same way because you know much as i'd like to believe that they are doing it just for the art the cancellation <laughs> of the oa has really rubbished that theory um and i think hbo had a slightly different image wasn't it they were like in an age yeah. where tv wasn't on that level they were like we are bringing you literally the best tv in the world there is nowhere else you can get stuff on this level and i think netflix is much broader they cast their net much yeah. wider and maybe giri hadji was just you know expensive to produce and yeah it's it's a bottom line thing isn't it it's it's just it's I think, sad. yeah i think the problem with giri hadji was it wasn't an, an, an pre, a pre-existing uh, property yeah. you know it was completely literally original in every yeah. single way every single way it's not from a novel you know it's a completely original story told in, and and scorsese is a brand everything else it's funny <laughs> what we're reviewing two shows today aren't we from netflix um which are very easily definable things like yeah. i mean we'll talk about ratchet later but I've got lots to say about that. But using that <laughs> using that intellectual property yeah. from one flood's cuckoosness. And then also the other show we're not reviewing this week, which is arrives on Netflix this Friday, is Jurassic Park, their animated yeah, you know, version of Jurassic Park. That's that's what their business is now, I think, you know. Stuff that's very easily pitched in about a sentence at most. What the fuck is Giri Haji? How you know, how they can't they can't make a thing out of it. They can't make a brand out of it because I don't think they have with all due respect, the imagination that right at the top, whoever's making these decisions to stick with those really unique shows. Yeah. What do we think the chances are of it getting picked up elsewhere? 
it doesn't seem to be minimum. It seems minimal. And also, there's this ongoing, isn't there this ongoing? I don't, I mean, I'm saying this without knowing exactly how it works, but I feel like, because it, it was a Netflix BBC co production, so I'm not sure. Yes. But I know that a lot of Netflix, like the OA, they refuse to allow. Um, they still hold the rights to it, and they refuse to allow anyone to take over those properties. I know that's that's a very common thing that I, you hear about Netflix shows. So I don't know whether they even could. I don't know whether they need Netflix permission to carry on and do it somewhere else. But it doesn't seem, from what Joe Barton's been saying on Twitter, he doesn't seem to have any optimism about that. Ugh. Mm. Ugh. Oh, the state of the world, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well. But, but, you know... Probably in direct contrast to that and just showing about where the world's priorities are, Amazon has picked up Tiger King. Yes. So, you know, make make the link there, if you will, in <laughs> terms of priorities for people at the moment. But it, this is the, and just to be clear about which Tiger King this is, because we know there are a couple of ones in the works, this is the Nicolas Cage um, as Joe Exotic, Tiger King. This is by the American Vandal showrunner, um, Dan Lagana. He's overseen the series, which is based on that Texas Monthly article, which kind of kicked off the entire thing. Um, and there's obviously at the same time, there's being developed one which is much more on Carol Baskin, which is the Kate McKinnon one. She's producing and starring. And I think that's landed with Peacock over in the States. Um so, you know, Giri Hadji can't get made, but if you want two different Tiger King stories <laughs> after, after a Tiger King documentary and a Tiger King podcast and some Tiger King articles, you've got two choices, baby. Yeah, all the Tiger Kings. Some big news on the Walking Dead front. You'll be thrilled to know, Terry. The Walking Dead announced that it is ending with season 11. So uh, season 10 is the one that we have been watching but the finale they haven't shown us yet because it got disrupted by lockdown so the finale i think is going to air in october and season 10 is actually getting a little bit of an extent it's getting a few bonus episodes which will air early next year and then season 11 the final season will start at the end of 2021 however however they say final season it's going to be double the length at 24 episodes and it's going to be half in 2021 and half in 2022 so one might say that's just two seasons of television. Yeah. One might. But and I, quite yeah. frankly, I thought it was already finished. I can't even believe we're having this conversation. But I think, I think, I guess what they're going to do is, so you'll get the first half of it in the tail end of 2021, as they have a tendency to do, and then you get the second half at the beginning of 2022. So it will span, you know, with a hiatus in between. So it won't be like a year, year apart. <laughs> hiatus is in the end yeah. of the series yeah. and the beginning uh, of the next yeah, A little bit, but yeah. it'll be weeks, not months and months and months. So but you they get, do this in America quite a lot. They did it, AMC does it all the time yeah, they did Walking it nearly Bad, always does they? that but yeah. nearly always it's, it's half the season then the other half but obviously shorter so this is a double size season so you just get more <laughs> right. before and more after um <laughs> but also they've announced there's a daryl and carol spin-off coming which sounds like some sort of odd couple sitcom and i'm 100 here for it and there's another uh anthology walking dead show that they've announced as well which is going to be they haven't it doesn't seem like they've entirely decided whether it will be sort of one of standalone episodes or small arc episodes or whatnot but it's going to tell lots of different stories in different time periods within the walking dead world so even though zombies the main zombie series is ending it the universe will continue but the, the, this being the final season i'm frankly i'm not in any way surprised uh we were talking about mm. this on the empire podcast as well is that if you read the comics where they're at at the moment there's only one storyline left before the comic story ends there's one thing left to explore and it looks like that's going to be the last thing they look at and then then it comes to a close and i imagine then we'll despite having a few characters now missing in the uh, in the show i suspect it'll follow a similar trajectory 
Aren't you two looking forward to World Beyond <laughs> oh. when we review that next month? Oh, my oh God. God. I, dead. I think I'm ill <laughs> that week. You're getting ill. You know you're yeah. ill. <clears throat> Funnily enough. Should getting we, a we, cough. What else has been happening? There's a new trailer for Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Oh, yeah. Terry, how many times have you watched it? Oh, my God, like, no. <laughs> yes, Discovery in the future. Uh, yeah, it's, it looks great. I'm, I'm very... This is the furthest into the future they've ever gone, it right? Is, is that, that's yeah. the thing? So from a Trek point of view, like, we're now in the sort of... We're way out. We are way out there. I think it's the 32nd century, I want to say, off the top of my yeah. head. But, right. uh, yes, it's quite exciting. The Federation is gone. Space has changed. Yeah, here for it. Looks I great. know your fans will want to know the answer to this question, James, which is what were you most excited about, <laughs> this trailer or the Dune trailer? Well, the Dune trailer I'd actually seen a while ago because Warner shared it with me in advance. So, oh, so Warner shared it with me in advance. Oh, I see. <laughs> not, not sure you meant to say that. Fine. That's probably That's brilliant. Brilliant. But yeah. Did they need feedback from you to check that it was all, all, yes, was all correct? Yeah. I, have to go, I think you're fine that you have misstated this. Uh, yes, I did do. There is a Dune splanation up on the Empire website for anyone who wishes to hear me banging on about Bene Gesserit witches and shy halud worms. Um, but yeah, it's, I did love the Dune trailer a lot. But uh, Discovery, Discovery, Discovery excites me because Discovery, like a new season of Discovery being imminent is a very, very big thing. Like that's, that's, I'm getting all tingly. It's very exciting. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Good week for trailers. Um, can I mention something that we wouldn't normally talk about, um, but I want to? Sure. <laughs> he says so with trepidation. I, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to talk about um, Britain's Got Talent. Oh, yes. Yes. This, so there has been apparently according to the news this morning the largest volume of complaints over something on live tv like ever and this is about diversity who obviously are the dance troupe who previously won um britain's got talent and their um the leader ashley banjo who is the leader of the dance troupe he was a standing judge um for simon cowell during the live shows Basically, they put on this performance that referenced um, the death of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, coronavirus, um, really bold, really brave. Um, and the the audience responded by complaining about the politicisation and about them protesting essentially racism. Apparently, Ashley Banjo and some other members of the troupe have had people trolling them online, um, complaining that it's, it, you know, in, I think this is, at least the polite version of some of what people were saying to them, that it was too political for a Saturday night entertainment show um, and that they should not discuss racism on live television um, on ITV at that time of day. I think it's extraordinary that this is the thing that has garnered most complaints from the people of this country, that a a very visible they're called diversity by the way there's always <laughs> been an element where they've spoken about social issues um for a start but the very thought that any kind of high profile person especially within the black community who wants to use their platform to creatively cover things like Black Lives Matter and the death of George Floyd. The fact that the response to that is complaints, I'm absolutely flabbergasted and disappointed and at a loss for, Are you, basically. though, in any way surprised, really? Well, the largest ever. I yeah, thought I mean, this yeah, would be a, a small number of, of people who, you know, should clearly, like, get a grip, but we're talking about a massive mm. volume, and I'm like, 
um, it bothers me so much because and people are saying oh well you know it's about police brutality we don't really see that here that's an american thing george floyd is an american thing this is a global issue mm. and the and the fact that we expect our entertainers whether they be singers actors um filmmakers whatever to be silent on things especially things that affect their own community i think it's absolutely like vile i'm just it, it really incensed me this morning it really incensed me but it's part of the whole, yeah, it's part of the whole, this pathetic, you know, culture war stoked by, let's face it, you know, right wing newspapers, you know, the coverage of, of, of this thing, you know, in the papers was ridiculous, um, as if there was something inherently, you know, wrong about a, a dance routine, about racism, you know, that's what it is. That, that, you know, it was it was great, by the way, as well. And of course, yeah, the, really the, the funny thing is, right, this is this is showing my lack of nose for news, right? I, in my other job at He, I interviewed uh, David Williams about this, this first episode of Britain's Got Talent for a feature in the magazine. And he told me before anyone knew about this, because they pre-recorded these semifinals, he told me about this special dance that Vodavacy had done, saying how brilliant it was and how it, it was quite, you know, it was an anti-racist thing and it was really bold and strong. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, whatever. I didn't. I literally did not put it in Wood the future at all. And then now, a week later, it's literally the biggest story. As you say, it's the most complained about thing in TV history, which is ridiculous. But I think on the plus side, it's they're, 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 it's so easy now to get even ten thousand people, you know, complaining about something stoked up by yeah. the culture warriors on on social media. In fact, eight million people watched it, and yeah. seven point seven point whatever a million. I can't do the math. Didn't complain. Yeah, and yeah. thought yeah. it was really and thought it was brilliant. But yeah, but this would be one of those things where it's it's about spaces, isn't it? Where they they're probably looking at this show, this place where they try and turn their brain off, their safe space away from you know all the stuff that they disagree with in Daily Mail land. Do you know what I mean? And then to have it invade this safe space is in almost certainly what caused the complaints. Well, that's privilege, though, isn't it? Of course, they it is. believe it of is. Of course, it is. They believe they own that space, and of they course. believe they are used to seeing certain things. Mm. And that's the problem: is that you don't own that space, and you don't get to decide how people use their platform. <laughs> anyway, moving on from that to the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, a natural segue there. Um, so, Bel Air, this dramatic reboot of the Fresh Prince, which is one of the most extraordinary sort of curios I've ever encountered is going ahead. It's had a two-season order at Peacock. It's obviously being produced by Will Smith uh, and Jada Pinkett Smith. And it is it is exactly that. It's taking that idea of him being taken off this West Philadelphia project and taken to Bel Air. And it's not humorous. You presumably won't have Carlton dancing in it. You know, it will be a very different tonal show. It's a very strange thing to greenlight, but I'm here for it. You know, we talked about this the other week. Yes, we did. But it's had a two-season yeah. order. I'm That's the news. I know. I know. It's been a, I yeah. know. I know it's to a To be thing. fair, it has been officially confirmed, yes. hasn't it? That's, yes. that's the yes. news yes. of it. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, yes. I just it find it fascinating thing. that this is a thing that exists. Uh, and I'm yeah. very, very excited to see it. Yeah, because if you remember those, mo th there would be you know, often in season finales or there'd, there'd often be an episode or part of an episode that was treated more dramatically. A very special episode of The Fresh Prince. <laughs> and I always I always thought they were really powerful. But yeah, going full drama rather than dramatic moments within a, 
a comedy is quite a different thing, isn't it? I will say, I would say Morgan Cooper is doing this, but I will say original theme song will get the fuck out. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> well, slight remix. How does that work tonally, right? No, I'm kidding. I'm yeah, obviously yeah, kidding. True. This is obviously <laughs> yeah. a joke. They're probably going to slow down. Well, you're right. Yeah. Oh, yes. Like they do in trailers. Yeah. They're really slowed down sinister versions <laughs> of it. I mean, West Philadelphia, yeah. born and raised on a playground. Jake, if you get your guitar, Terry yeah. can sing it. And this is the yeah. you sort it out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking privilege or anything, yeah. but you two can do a it. A really yeah. slow, <laughs> tedious cover of that. That would be very good. Very good. What else is news? Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi series has got a production start, so that's shooting in spring next year. Terry, visibly excited at this point, which is very, very good. <laughs> you must have been excited. Have you heard about the Robocop TV series, the prequel series? With no Robocop With no Robocop, it. yes, as all great Robocop things should obviously be. Um, but yeah, this like- is... Robocop without Robocop. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah, it's a Dick Jones series. So hopefully it will be lots of satire about large corporations, large tech corporations. But I mean, who the fuck knows? Good work. But it must be building to a Robocop at some point. I don't point. think it is. I don't think it is. He's basically said, I'm working in MGM. It has all the cool stuff. This is Ed Neumeyer, who's uh, <laughs> the original writer. He's like um, in co-writing this. It has all the cool stuff about Robocop, except no Robocop. So there you go. <laughs> Well, I mean, Excellent. Well, just what yeah. I always wanted. Yeah, right. Yeah, a dick backstory. Yeah. Dick Jones is going to be great. Um, speaking of stuff that's going into production, Sex Education season three has also announced the resumption of production. That is very exciting. Uh, so that's back on track. And the last thing I would mention is Doogie Kame Aloha MD, which is the Hawaiian spin on Doogie Howser MD, uh, which has a young uh, mixed race sixteen-year-old girl as the precocious medical doctor still in high school mm. so i think that's uh, i mean that's there's a working title for it but that's uh that is going ahead i was going to quickly mention another acquisition you know we mentioned the the luca guadagnino yes. series it, um, bbc has acquired that from hbo which i thought was completely weird and bizarre because sky have this deal with yeah. hbo well there's another show basically love life which is anna kendrick's um, romantic comedy series which has been really well reviewed in america it's on hbo max and bbc have acquired that as well and that's going to be a, a bbc3 box set um it's re- i don't i really need to talk to these people these people who've got sky i know that <laughs> these people yeah these people sue deeks is the head of acquisitions at the bbc and she's doing a fucking brilliant job that's all i can say yeah. she's getting these really interesting um shows um you know we'd fought salem we was you know we, yes. we, took, we reviewed really bold interesting shows that, that, that BBC is acquiring and putting out as box sets I think it's it's an interesting situation but also you would never I would just I remember the first time I realised that was going out on the Beeb it is so not yeah the channel Completely. you'd expect no. I think it's really great that they're pushing more into that stuff yeah. and yeah. an interesting bold genre stuff Definitely. Uh, well, we should mention, of course, that Diana Rigg died um, this week and she was abs- an absolutely incredible. I mean, the, the things that it's interesting because the, half the papers and half the coverage is going for the Avengers, mm. which is the thing, I think, that made her particularly famous TV-wise in this country and was brilliant. And I grew up watching a lot of Avenger- the Avengers and it was an incredibly groundbreaking show and her character was unbelievably bold. Um, you know, this kind of, she, she would fight, she would fight men, beat up men. Um, she had, she had all kinds of elements to that character that were fantastic. And then of course, decades later, most recently give the Game of Thrones coach. And I loved her character in Game mm. of Thrones. She was at the Queen of her Thorns. kind of 
scenes with Cersei are some of the best scenes in the whole history of Game of Thrones. Um, and she she was working right up until very recently. Um, she's in Edgar Wright's next film that he finished filming. And she, she's just a brilliant, brilliant um, star. And I remember um, this show called Mother Love, which went out on BBC One, which Andrew Davis wrote. Andrew Davis of, you know, all those period drama adaptations and a very peculiar practice. And that was a very bold thing about a, mo- a mother-son relationship. And she was phenomenal in that. Um, David McCallum was in it, James Wilbur was in it. And that was in 1989. Um, and I haven't seen it since. It'd be really interesting to find out if it's available anywhere. But that was one of the best things I think she ever did as well. So, But she she definitely had an incredible TV career as well as doing lots of pretty damn good mm. films as well. Died peacefully in her sleep at the age of 82. Right, that is it for news. Time now for this week's reviews. And first up this week, we have ITV's Des. A dramatisation of the capture and confession of serial killer Dennis Nielsen, who murdered at least 12 young men in North London in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, David Tennant plays the killer himself here, with Danny Mays as the investigating officer. It's dark, it's bleak, it involved a dead body in a block drain. So who better to tell us about it than Terry White? <laughs> oh, thank you, James Dyer. Um, so first things first, we just have to say David Tennant is fucking terrifying <laughs> as Dennis Nielsen. And it's weird because you always think about how people portray, as not just any old serial killer, one of the most horrendous serial killers in British history. You know, he admitted to murdering at least 15 men and boys in the 1970s and the 1980s. You know, he only got discovered when a neighbour called the police because the drains were blocked when he was trying to flush away their body parts. Um, And he was found guilty, obviously, I think in the end of six counts of murder to attempted murder, sentenced to life imprisonment. Um, And... His portrayal is so interesting um, because he's, it's so chilling because he's very calm half the time um, during his performances when he's being interviewed by the police. The casual nature with which he reveals certain details. Um, it's like he's attempting to be helpful. At times, it's like he's in like a neighborhood watch meeting or something. He just seems so mild mannered, so polite, and so desperate to help. And it's really disarming, actually, because I think we've seen lots of different portrayals of, of killers on TV over the years. Um, and the the understated and subtlety and nuance with which the incredible. David Tennant portrays this, I think is is fascinating and makes it a really different portrayal than I can remember in any drama like this before. Um, we should say that it, it's shown, basically the events are shown through the eyes of three different men involved in the story. So you have Nielsen himself, Tennant, as we said. Um, then you've got Daniel Mays as the DCI um, leading the investigation and the incredible Jason Watkins playing um, his biographer, Brian Masters. And I think it's a really interesting way to do the narrative because you're expecting, it kind of opens on the, on the drains and what you're expecting is some kind of flashbacks as he's um, talking to the police, which shows the crimes. And I think they made a creative and narrative decision, probably from a taste and a tone perspective, to not show the crimes. And I think that's a really important thing because what this doesn't feel like it doesn't feel salacious. It doesn't feel kind of t- 
tabloidy. It doesn't feel mawkish, mm. weirdly, when you're dealing with something like this. And instead, by picking up at the moment, essentially, where he's caught after all these years killing these young men, you you find out things as the police do. And by showing it from that point and, you know, showing the effect on families, showing the effect on the police, showing the ripple effect of what a serial killer like this creates on families and society and everybody involved, really. It's a really fascinating and much more interesting way, in my mind, to show it than just kind of rehashing the crimes. Um, Daniel Mays, um, I think, is really great in this. As I said, I think um, Jason Watkins is brilliant, but really Tennant is just absolutely phenomenal. Every detail, the way he delivers um, his confessions, the way he holds himself, the way he smokes, the way he sits. He is such an incredible actor and he's fully, you know, you completely believe every single minute of this. And I think it's one of his best performances ever, honestly. Um, so I really, really like this. It's a three-parter. I watched the first part. Um, but yeah, incredibly interesting. It is ITV, so you may have kind of assumptions about what kind of crime <laughs> drama this is. Chuck them all away because this is an incredibly, mm. incredibly well done, thoughtful, dramatically nuanced um, look at Dennis And he looks Nathan. so much like him, doesn't he? It's mm. uncanny. terrifying. Uncanny. And exactly yeah. as you say, like it's, it's interesting that he's a very, it sounds absurd to say, he's a very sympathetic character because he mm. sits there and he genuinely wants to help. He's like, oh, it's just so nice to get this off my chest. And there's there's just like a key moment in the first episode where he's like, why did you do it? And he was like, well, I don't know. I was kind of hoping you could tell me. And he genuinely seems to want yeah. them to tell him why he's doing this. He doesn't really understand it. And you're just like that. I mean, it's quite chilling. And we're, we're, we're sort of spoon fed, you know, from many American shows, this idea of the serial killer is like, you know, with swastikas on their head, like Charles Manson worshiping Satan, just like larger than life, like evil incarnate. Whereas all too often that isn't the case. And it's the kind of person where, you know, as it said in this, like they wouldn't let him search the office because his colleagues refused to believe that such a nice guy would do anything like that. They were a hundred percent in his camp uh and it is you know these things can go how many times have we seen when someone's arrested and all the neighbors were like we never suspected a thing he was a lovely guy yeah. wouldn't harm a fly terrifying yeah. boyd <laughs> we've just described you yeah. lovely man wouldn't harm a fly are like, you a serial killer <laughs> no <laughs> confess not, now no. come on let's face it if any of us are going to be a serial killer it's you <laughs> um but just to say yeah it's it, i think this is an object lesson in how to do true crime it's 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 the um director lewis arnold and the writer luke neal have Right from the start, they make, as Terry said, it, it's you do not see anything to do with the actual crimes. And I think, I, I think in certain situations, showing crimes in true crime dramas is fine because you know it, it, there's a way of doing it that can be you can avoid the taste issue or you can deal with the taste issue. But these, the what what he did is so horrendous because not only did he you know mostly strangle or or drown these young guys he also he kept them he kept them as figures in his life for like sometimes a couple of days on end he would just sit them there you know he it, so what he did was just perverse and he was weird. a necrophile wasn't he yeah horrendous and, and, and there was a necrophiliac element to it yeah so you just can't there's no way of dealing with that stuff without it being feed coming across an exploitative stuff and i think as I say, Lewis and Luke knew that from the start. And David Tennant's wanted to do this story for years and years. I think partly fascinated just by actually that he does look a bit like him. Yeah. And, you know, he, there's, so he felt a fascination for the story. So right from the start, they've decided the way they've told the story is absolutely right. 
and through these three men's eyes, as you say. I think it's key that Jason Watkins' version of Brian Masters, so it's kind of based on Brian Masters' book, um, who 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 saw uh, Dennis Nielsen in jail and established this 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 bond this bond of trust. And partly, I think, because as you say, Dennis Nielsen wanted someone to analyze him. I mean, partly for ego reasons, partly because you know. I mean, I think I think one of the ways that he does conform to the the pattern of of killers is he want, he he quite enjoyed the fame mm. and you know being a known person and being um a, a book being written about him he loved in fact Dev, david tennant said that um it was they couldn't have done this when he was still alive so he died a couple of years yeah. ago because he would have enjoyed too much the mm. fact that a tv drama was being made about him um so the timing is right i think that it's it's so meticulously done and when you do start getting into particularly once the trial starts and it gets less cooperative actually for various reasons it deals with things like really interesting things like the fact that these were, you know, young men he picked up in gay bars in in London, and the shame um, a lot of them had. Some, some people got away. There, there's one guy who, who was a would be victim who escaped from him, and just the shame of having to deal with, you know, his sexuality at that time at this period, and the homophobia surrounding just gay men in this period of of, of British history is is, and it's dealt with very subtly, mm. not in a, not in a, you know, not in a kind of um, glib way. And similarly, I think what's dealt with really interestingly and you gets and gets and, and will astonish people it's how the police decide to stop investigating um you know more than six or seven of these crimes because they just didn't have the time and resources so there were you know there were like six or seven victims families who did not get the their cases dealt with just because the police you know on one level couldn't be bothered b didn't act genuinely couldn't spend the time because they were told not to by their bosses so all of that there are lots of really interesting quite shocking elements to the story beyond the obvious shock of this man doing these horrendous things and as you say and he's so amazing and it's the offhandedness <laughs> isn't it he's mm. like he's basically answering their questions like oh yeah you know like as if he was a petty thief or something like yeah that's how i did that that's how i and it's and that offhandedness and that ca the casual way in which she deals with what he's done or talks about explains what he's done is exactly what he was like apparently and 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 David Tennant shows us that absolutely incredibly he's so brilliant in it but everyone Danny Mays I thought he's one of his mm. best performances for a long time I think everyone is just everything is brilliantly judged I think in this and the way they respond to that offhandedness when he's talking about disemboweling just from a purely yeah. technical point of view and just like Danny Mays's face in that scene yeah I mean it is yeah. it is horrifying but yeah really really good uh I was about to say for ITV that seems a bit harsh ITV does lots of good <laughs> it stuff does. These I days. Know. let's stop this I prejudice know. we shouldn't bash ITV they do do a lot <laughs> of good people, stuff but people yes. may have a you know yes. they, make oh, sure. they also yeah. do so, you know. a certain type of show yeah. so yeah. I don't think it's entirely yeah. unfair I think it's brilliant that ITV by the way gave did this and has given clearly the creators full yes. full creative mm. you know that freedom to do it this way you know and i think that is that's great yeah. so this runs on consecutive nights beginning monday september the 14th at 9 p.m on itv Next up this week is Netflix's Ratched. This is the new series telling the origin story of one Mildred Ratched, the nightmare nurse from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. This is a Ryan Murphy show. Indeed, it may be the most Ryan Murphy show that has ever existed. <laughs> and fittingly, Sarah Paulson stars as the crazed caregiver herself. The question is, though, Boyd, is this a series we either want or need? It's a very good question. Well, I think as I alluded to earlier about Netflix and, and all this stuff, it's 
like this is this is a um taking the character from one flew over the cuckoo's nest that brilliant film i love one flew over the cuckoo's nest the film and um, i re- i read i read the book what years and years ago i haven't read it recently but it's taking this character of nurse ratchet and it's creating it's it's creating a origin story Basically, in the um, Ryan Murphy universe, you know, and I don't mean that literally. I don't mean like we're going to get characters from Hollywood swanning uh-huh. in, although we may do. I don't know. Um, and other of his shows, you know, someone from Pose arrives or whatever. But it's so it's a it's just Ryan Murphy eyed this character. I mean, actually, he didn't even create the the. It's Evan Romansky who created the show, by the way. But then Ryan Murphy came in and he's turned into a, a definitely a Ryan Murphy thing. It's so Ryan Murphy. It's peak <laughs> Ryan Murphy in every way, right? <laughs> And nothing to do with the fucking character in my first cooking house, really. Because no. she was nothing like this. Like, this, it just doesn't make any sense. So it's, you know, the, the, the connection between the two, just forget about it, I would say, for anyone who likes one from the cooker's nest. So imagine that it's just a thing about a psychopathic nurse in the late 40s in California. And it's interesting to, you know, getting a job, insisting on getting a job in a institution and in, in, you know, in the, uh, where the, the crazy guy who's running it thinks that lobotomies are a good idea, thinks that um, a lesbian women need to have their sexuality uh, removed from them by putting them in a boiling hot bath and then a freezing cold bath. Basically, stuff that's probably going to be fatal for these people his treatments are astonishing it's it's um there's a there's a whole killer that begins with this mass killing thing there's this like demented killer who and we were and and uh, and how he is connected to nurse ratchet will will eventually play out um there are there's a another guy she's saying in this kind of um in this motel run by a deranged woman who doesn't want anyone to have sex in the motel where any everyone obviously does want to have <laughs> sex in the motel there's a one episode just as you think you're getting a, a, a getting kind of a handle on the madness of it all episode three sharon stone's character arrives and oh my god it then ratchets up if you'll pardon the pun <laughs> to a whole new level of camp demented insane body horror and i can't even begin and she seems to have by the way based her performance on madonna as far as i can make out there's a there's a she's based this like kind of diva crazy woman with a son and i won't i can't even i won't spoil it i don't believe a word of it it doesn't make any sense psychologically um dramatically massive holes it's insane it's it's creepy it's disgusting often it's almost some of it's unbearable to watch it's funny it's camp but I really enjoyed it. And it's the, first, it's the first thing that he's done for ages that I've really enjoyed because I couldn't stand Hollywood. I thought it was pre- preposterous. Um, and what was the other thing we watched recently? I couldn't. Uh, there were a couple of things he's done recently that I didn't enjoy. Oh, the, the last series of The Politician, Politician. I thought was ludicrous. It is completely, it, it, it's, it's untethered from reality in every single sense, <laughs> but because it's so stylized, it's so beautiful to look at. And by the way, it's really more of a tribute. I finally worked this out, I think in episode three or four, where there's a sequence that is literally taken from Vertigo visually. It's, mm. it's a Hitchcock tribute, really. About four different Hitchcock classic films are kind of referenced. And the music, they literally take Bernard Herrmann's yeah. music um, sometimes. It's it, Forget one for the schools. It's, it's peak Ryan Murphy insanity over over the top camp preposterous visually beautiful amazing cast uh, um, everyone you know just sarah paulson cynthia nixon judy davis sharon stone mm-hmm. finn Witchrock, amanda Plummer pops up Corey stoll is amazing in vincent it. d'onofrio vincent d'onofrio and they're all given full they're all unleashed to be wildly over the top 
but I really enjoy it. So if you don't mind something that makes no sense whatsoever and is completely ridiculous, then you, and you give yourself over to it, it is incredibly entertaining. Boyd is correct. <laughs> like, so because I think so many people are caught up in Louise Fletcher, right, and in that yeah. cinematic depiction and exactly that character who has been such an iconic character of cinema. And I think Boyd is. 100% right, which is you just have to fucking forget that and get over it and just and leave it on the floor because this this woman is nothing really like that woman. And But I actually enjoyed that because instead of kind of just being this void of fucking evil, she's like interesting and you're empathetic at times and she is, you know, deranged and lots of deranged things are happening all the time. But she weirdly, for something which is so OTT and camp and like arch and stylized she also feels like a more compelling fully rounded interesting character with lots of different sides and um i mean the design fuck me and we know this about <laughs> ryan murphy <laughs> shows right this is not a surprise but i mean there were crane shots for like no reason just a, 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 a tiny transition yeah. scene they would spend money on a crane shot. And I'm like, I can't even, whoever was responsible for this budget must have been having a, like a heart attack three times a day. The ambition visually and stylistically is insane. Every single detail, like the, the I mean, and, and that's the other thing is, I think some people will struggle with the fact that from a cinema, cinematography and design perspective, it is so different. The world is so different. But that's because it's Ryan Murphy's world. And I think with this story, with this character, it completely and utterly works. And you just have to submit to this, you know, it is, yes, it's a mental institution, but this crazy, insane, slightly off kilter world that you're plugged into. And I fucking loved it. I really, really loved it. And I just thought Paulson is... It's basically like the role she was born to play. And it, and he does all the things that you want him to do, which is, you know, he really does expose the shocking treatment of LGBTQ people, these these barbaric kind of practices. Um, I just think she's weirdly so compelling and sympathetic and, like, brilliantly drawn and just plugged into the middle of this incredibly rich, beautiful world. I could not get enough of this i have to mm. admit sarah paulson is a phenomenal actor i mean oh there's a reason God. murphy sticks her in basically everything mm. uh, and she does bring a real nuance and quality to this let's be honest a little bit two-dimensional character when you've you know yeah. you take her in one flew over the cuckoo's nest um but as you say there's almost no connective tissue between that and this at all like the world doesn't feel the same the aesthetic is different the character is different it's just that one name and i think that's what bugged me about this to begin with is that it's that netflix they've latched onto an ip it's a bit like young wallander young wallander yeah. didn't need to be wallander this yeah. doesn't need to be ratchet no. and it's just that slightly cynical attempt to hitch a new show to an existing ip in the hope that you'll bring in an existing audience yeah and also there's that part of me that dislikes perhaps i still have you know episode one trauma but the idea of taking a great iconic cinema villain and then ruining them by giving you a you know quote-unquote sympathetic backstory i think is a terrible terrible dramatic choice to make to begin with that said all of that aside if you if you 
as you say, uncouple this from Cuckoo's Nest and from Nurse Ratched, this is a really interesting thing. It's a little bit too Ryan Murphy for me <laughs> in that there's, there's only so much of that I can take. Like, there's a bit when she comes out and she's wearing this outfit with these fluorescent neon orange gloves <laughs> with this neon orange R on her chest. So, so much so that I almost feel like they were using UV to bring the neon out because it pops it's so vibrant it's so distracting and the stylistic choices they make here from like the, the use of lighting there's a green light they use to to denote a couple of, of mood pieces here um, and the really portentous overwrought soundtrack which is incredibly intrusive as well um it's it's a really interesting show it's uh it is as, as we've said very very ryan murphy it's not really for me to be honest but i yeah i i, I agree with everything you said like it's it's very good very well done and she's the the centerpiece of it so it, yeah it is the most i think it's it's the most ryan murphy oh, yeah. it, it, it's oh, yeah. i mean every every shot is so saying <laughs> every and i know people say this about stuff but this is true and every shot is looks incredible it does and the amount of work that's gone into the production design and the cinematography and the lighting as you say and the and the screenshots and all of that <laughs> i mean on the see this is the good side of netflix for me i mean you know they clearly again ryan murphy given can do what the fuck he wants gazillions of dollars on every single episode so he has the creative freedom and sheer money to make this thing which is quite a cult you know really how many people are gonna i don't think this is a mainstream you know proposition this this show this is a this is more out there yeah. and bizarre than his american horror stories which are i think probably the most popular of any of the shows he's ever done really mm. in, well actually not in, since glee and stuff like that but this is even more out there than those this is like i'm taking what i do with those and i'm going to put it to the max the, honestly the longer it goes on the fucking more insane it gets but I, I i think if you go with it and if you're a fan of that operatic over the topness <laughs> then you will love it you will absolutely love it and you will get the chance to love it on netflix when it drops on friday september the 18th next up this week is Dennis Kelly's The Third Day, which you have already heard about from the man himself. Uh, this part of the show, The Third Day, colon, summer, sees Jude Law end up on a peculiar island after finding a young girl in the woods. It is absolutely batshit, features crazy cultists who look like they'll eat you soon as look at you. So who better to tell us about it than Terry White? <laughs> well, you know, I, I feel like Boyd just used the word deranged about ratchet, but um, this is like deranged squared or oh something this is possibly the maddest thing i've seen in a very 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 long time i'm gonna try it's it's a little it's not complicated but i'm just going to explain the format of this which as you said it's split into three seasons and three parts and they're kind of um there's summer autumn and winter now summer is is the bit you just mentioned which is these episodes with jude law's character Autumn is a live event which is in the middle and now this is going to be shown on um, on telly and on the Sky website. It was originally going to be a massive live event with loads of people attending but obviously coronavirus mm. has made that very difficult. And then and that will be a single shot, I think they're saying, right, mm. Boydie? Yeah. yeah. This will be a single shot, um, one-off live event. And then Winter is the second part or third part, which is starring Naomi Harris. Now, this is all set on this weird little place called OC, which is um uh is it an estuary? Is it an estuary? Um I don't know, actually, to be honest. I'll say island. It's an island. So it's an island <laughs> essentially off the coast um, and it's only accessible twice a day. Um, and 
it, I suppose the linking characters are these locals on OC Island. The cast is incredible. So Paddy Considine, as you have never seen him before, <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Emily Watson, as you've also never seen her before. Catherine Waterson, Jude Law, we mentioned. Naomi Harris, we mentioned. Um, and it's the brainchild of incredible Dennis Kelly, um, who we all know from Utopia, which was also very singular, shall we say. And he created it with Felix Barrett, who's the guy who who um, came up with and runs Punch Drunk, which is the great immersive theatre company. And together they came up with this idea of this three-party. It's directed by Mark Munden, who also did Utopia. And we should say that then the um, latter half is directed by Philippa Lothorpe um, and has a couple of additional writers as well alongside Dennis Kelly. So I think it's fair to say that this is incredibly ambitious. Um, It's the first drama from Sky Studios, which is Sky's new European production arm and they've done it in partnership with plan b you recognize plan b because that's brad pitt's production Mm. company so as the end credits roll it you will notice brad pitt is down in as an exec producer essentially it's part midsummer it's part witch funded general part devil devil rides out it is flipping between genres and tones like one minute it's a comedy, the next minute it's a proper horror. There's some body shock stuff in there. Um, it's, you know, a lot of it's insular. You're kind of with Jude Law as you think he's kind of having a breakdown. There's a tragedy that's alluded to. He seems to be in this really tricky place kind of personally. Um, maybe some kind of dodgy business thing going on at the same time. And this, I don't know quite how it all hangs together. And the reality is that you will either, I think, really fucking love this and admire (laughs) the the batshit bravery and boldness that plays out on screen, or you will be like, what the fuck am I watching? I personally loved most of it. So there are moments where um, that, you know, the couple played by Emily Watson and Paddy Considine, somebody, and actually it's in the Empire Review, um, uh, which is online at the moment, where they actually kind of say it's a little bit Bruce and Vasey at times. And I think <laughs> that can either be celebrated as a real commitment by Dennis Kelly to what he's doing with these characters and with this world, for me, it slightly undercut some of the tension and undercut some of the horror that I was really enjoying. So it is played a very specific way. And as I say, the tone is one minute you are like petrified and the next minute it is it is much more kind of comedy and lighthearted and there's surprising levity. And mm. it's really hard to talk about it any more than that because pretty much everything is a spoiler. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of, you, you are constantly surprised from the get-go. There's something that happens in the first, is it five minutes? And yeah. I was kind of incredibly shocked and you need to gird yourself pretty much from the first minute but i enjoyed the kind of insanity of this jude law i think is fucking brilliant and he commits to this completely there's not an ounce of vanity in him he really goes for it you will not have seen him do anything like this and it's just this crazy insane world that i completely and utterly believed in um it's claustrophobic it's intense it's kind of psychedelic it's trippy 
but you will not have seen anything like this on British telly before. I think it's fair to say that that is is correct. And these two stories you sense of, of these outsiders, we're the outsiders coming into this world, that world and the characters in it and the locals within it and this kind of the secrets of that world, the stuff you're not seeing, the stuff that's hinted at, you are there for all of that. And I'm going to watch every single one of these um, and I'm very excited to watch them all. But yeah, this is this is either... It's gonna. People are gonna love it, or they're gonna hate it, and I, I find it very hard to think there'll be any in between. Really, it's. I, I was watching this last night. I texted you both and went, "This is fucking deranged." <laughs> Just because, but and, and and I think it's important to to point out, like people will watch the first episode. You you need to watch at least the first two. I think you can't yes. get a feel for what this is until you've seen the second episode because the first one is a lot of it is set up. But. I mean, it's audacious, it is bold, it is groundbreaking, it is, I mean, and that's just taking these three episodes as a whole, just from a storytelling perspective. When you look at this as a three-part television event with a live thing in the middle, it's an extraordinary thing to undertake and to have yeah. pulled it off so well. And I'm assuming, obviously, I've only, we've only seen, well, I've only seen uh, this initial autumn segment. We've got mm. the summer and winter segments to come. But um yeah, I'm 100% here with this. It's it's fascinating. It is Wicker Man crazy, deranged madness, but it's it's very very well done. Uh, Boyd, I know you loved it as well. Absolutely love it. Yeah, can't can't get enough of it. It's it's. Um, I mean, what a week! First of all, just stand yeah. back. Yeah. I mean, yeah. fucking television, man. I know. It's, I know it's <laughs> we should why. do a podcast. Yeah, I know. But honestly, I mean, don't uh, compare. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably annoy Terry by saying compared to films. I mean, every week the sheer number. Come on, TV's just better isn't it right now shut down the, empire any of these things no empire does cover tv thank god but any all of these things are fucking amazing that they got made i mean how this got made yeah. i know yeah. dennis kelly you know is, is a brilliant talent but to get for sky to give him and to, to collaborate with punch drunk first of all mm. cause, and i think punch drunk they're involved not only in the the live thing which will be on by the way on sky arts i think for 12 fucking hours <laughs> right 12 live hours one shot incredible then to give him the freedom to do this thing. And I do think he, he he sat back and he's gone. And I kind of, I think I asked him this in an interview. He's just gone, what can you do now? You know, everything's been done. Really. T- TV is so ambitious. Every week we get a different show that is incredible. I know we'll do this thing where two, with intertwined stories set on this island this of OC, which really exists, by the way, and is a really mm. bizarre place in all kinds of different ways. And I'll have this live theatrical event in the middle. <laughs> it, you know, he's found a thing that has not been done before, even though, as you've both said, the stuff, it reminds, it, it, it's reminiscent of a lot of other stuff. Wicker Man, of course, yeah, Midsummer. I, I don't look now. I think there's a lot of don't look now in it, particularly yeah. in the, you know, it's, it's no accident. The little kid, he has visions of this little kid in red shorts. Thoughts. Um, and the way that works is very reminiscent of Don't Now, the way that Nick Rogue film was done. So just in the subject the subject matter, the way it deals with these weird religious, culty, pagany things that get more and more, as we've used the word a lot, deranged, but it is the word as it goes on. Um the character like um Emily Watson's character, who says fuck in every single sentence, <laughs> and, I, and I made sure I checked. At one point, she says, shut your fucking fuck. That relationship, that shows it is funny. Yeah. And yet, as it goes on, it also gets creepier and scarier. Um, it's, as, a, as Jude Law, I mean, what he's put Jude Law through, and if you read the interviews that Jude's done about it, he's like, yeah, it was fuck it. it was an absolute nightmare. Not only because he's in this state of kind of dealing with past trauma, but he literally has to go through this 
fucking we swim through the dr- nearly drown a guy um, pisses get, on him <laughs> guy pisses on him gets multiply yeah. beaten up and abused everything i mean oh my god it's like it's like the revenant it's like you know his version of the revenant what they put him through and he is brilliant and what a reminder of how brilliant he is because he's at, he's so naturalistic and he's, he makes mm. it feel so even though people will go oh this is ridiculous and there are times where because i think dennis kelly resolve to make this one of those things that is explained so all the weird shit that happens will be explained there is necessarily moments where it's exposition where literally characters will go well we're doing this because of this and i don't think there's any way around that. i'd rather have that on honest than it kind of being left you know mystifyingly what the fuck is going on and not have any idea of why people are doing the weird shit they're doing so it is explained in it but it's you haven't ever seen anything like it and i love that and i absolutely loved every minute of it and i have watched i got as far as the first episode of the naomi harris story and that's a completely different tone to as well that's this like quite stark gray quite bleak um, tone visually and and in terms of the way it's the way it's written and what's happening there, um, but it completely gripping and fascinating as well. I can't wait to see how it all plays out. So I think it, it's incredible, really. I should point out that also Freya Allen, the Witcher's Siri, is in this in a and this is just going on the first few episodes a non-speaking role. Like she's just there <laughs> in the background. I assume she gets to say something later on. Well, it's like it's Siri yeah. and anything that links back to the Witcher automatically makes this an instant classic that is the third day the third day summer i should say the first part of this which starts on sky atlantic on tuesday september the 15th at 9 p.m finally this week we have the second series of netflix's criminal the show that misses all the crime and investigation and skips straight to the interrogation what i imagine going on a date with ted hastings feels like in fact uh the second <laughs> series here consists of four english episodes and stars kit harrington sophie okonedo sharon horgan and kunel nayar as the perps being put under the spotlight boyd what did you think? Are you pressing charges against this one? Uh, well, I think this is a great format. I think we talked about it last week, mm. um, didn't we? How what how this takes the idea of the interrogation scene, you know, the kind of scenes you see that have made line of duty, what it is really to some extent, and and this inherently dramatic idea and build an entire series around it. And I think the format in which every episode is a different case, is a different police interview with a different where you know one or two of the detectives will be interviewing the suspect or the person giving a statement whatever there's it varies as to why they're being interviewed and while their colleagues watch from the other side like a very in a very theatrical heightened yeah. way emphasizing the theatricality of the situation to the point in the first episode which is the one with Sophie Okonedo literally one character is interviewing her and the other guy's sitting there feet up kind of eating nuts and kind of watching <laughs> like he's watching a film um i think it's so i think it's it's it takes this kind of very clever little idea and, and runs with it and I just find it inherently entertaining fascinating um, concept and in this series I thought so I've watched three of the four I haven't yet watched the Kunal Naya one which is the last one the guy from um, the Big Bang Theory but I have to say I think they have an ingenious way of creating different types of these confrontations and different types of cases the Kit Harrington one I think will people will um I think it might prove controversial it's you know he's an an accused rapist and um to say much more we can't really spoil it but it definitely looks at ideas of you know how do you prove how do you prove a case when it's 
his word against hers when it's the victim's word against the alleged perpetrator and there's no one else there and all the ramifications of that and um, that is dealt with in a very I thought were very interesting thought I mean let's thought provoking is what I would say mm. it was discussions will I could see Terry's getting ready see, <laughs> listeners Terry's like yes he will <laughs> um, the Sharon Horgan one where she plays a woman running a, an opera, a kind of vigilante and anti-pedophile vigilante operation she is fucking brilliant she's just to see Sharon Horgan you know doing a dramatic role um, and not you know not playing it for love, etc. And she's so great. A reminder of how brilliant she is. Brilliantly cast. And the Sophia Okaneda one, she's amazing as well. She has to spend that whole thing in a state of heightened kind of distress and anxiety and is phenomenal in that tears. And it's one of those tears and snot performances where it's all, you know, ev everything's coming out. I just really, really like this full man. I think, and I think they've done a really good job. But some may have an issue, a big issue with the Kit Harrington episode. So... I love this show. As Boyd said, I love the format. It's so simple and it's so effective. I love the fact it's a bit like theatre, but, the, you know, we talked last time when we reviewed season one about the sound design, about the way it's shot. I think it's so well executed. And um, I watched the first two episodes, the first of which is the Sophia Canado one, which just reminded me what an incredible mm. actor she is. Oh, my God. I mean, the, there's a whole bit where she just doesn't speak and it's just her face changing. I mean, it's extraordinary. The narrative heavy lifting her face does alone in that scene is incredible. She is remarkable. And then the second episode, which is the Kit Harrington story now a couple of the themes it tackles within that question are as boyd said the um difficulty around getting proof when it's either consensual sex or it's rape both of which is a private event happening in somebody's house um, usually and there is no absolute proof because certain things that can be interpreted as being the consequence of um, rape also um, there is a argument that they could be the, also the cons the consequence of consensual sex so it's very good on those grey areas and exploring those when they're looking at the evidence with him and it also kind of because of that getting into a he said she said situation raises the spectre of um, false accusations um, levied against men so I suppose my issue with that is, I think, you know, and, and we've talked about this before, whether people have a responsibility, a social responsibility when it comes to their creativity around TV shows and around films and stuff like that. I think there is a particular issue with rape because it will have escaped. Probably nobody's noticed that in July of this year, it was announced that rape convictions had fallen to a record low in both England and Wales, the lowest levels since records began, to the point where rape has essentially been decriminalised in this country because so few rape cases are prosecuted and so few are then found guilty. This is a really, you know, a huge problem in our society. And the actually false allegations are incredibly, incredibly rare to be practically like not a thing, basically. Statistically, they just do not happen with the frequency that some people may um, may assume. So I suppose my issue with it, and um, this isn't to say whether he is eventually guilty or not, 
um, is that the, the issues within rape they're choosing to highlight, I felt were potentially the wrong issues because when we do have such a low conviction rate, I think any discussion around false reporting and, and any kind of um, treading of that ground could arguably be misrepresenting what the biggest issues are when it comes to rape. It's much more interesting, actually, when it starts to delve into um, the difficulties with evidence and the difficulties with proof um, and what it's required to actually be able to get a conviction and what's required to be able to convict or even kind of arrest somebody in the first place. So that's kind of my issue with it in that I felt arguably the things they were looking at and the focus at certain points in the episode could arguably give a distorted view of what the real issues are around the criminal justice system and around rape. And somebody, I'm sure, is going to go on Twitter and call me a fucking fun sponge because, you know, um, but I, I think I really, really want to make that point because I think there is a responsibility when it comes to discussing these things. And I think the the responsibility is to properly engage with the issues around rape if that's what you're going to focus on um and i i feel like some of the waiting giving parity to these different elements of of rape i think was not necessarily the right decision and it pissed me right off um but obviously i'm going to watch episode three and four uh i agree with you entirely on that point even though you are of course a fun sponge but uh but no and and i think it's something that shouldn't be taken that lightly because there was a big deal made of the csi effect about how csi fundamentally altered the way juries weighted forensic evidence in court cases in america and you have to people need to understand that popular culture and shows and stuff do you know sway yes. people's biases and as you say you know the way they portray it and and the the arguments that they put forward and the facts that they explore you could argue it feeds into a false narrative and i think it's actually it's quite chilling in this particular episode there's a point where the lawyer his lawyer who is a woman spells out to him the realities of the burden of proof that is with the police and she says it in very flat terms almost advising him and there's a, you could call it heavy-handed but there's a single sort of tear on her cheek when she does it because it's obviously killing her and she's doing her job but she is telling him that these are the facts surrounding you know evidence gathering around rape and it's i mean it's it's horrific to have to sit through that but that aside and like i said do agree with you on that issue and i'm not sure that i think they handle it maybe the most responsible way it is a really good show and these are four really great episodes with outstanding performances that particular episode starts with a six minute monologue from kit harrington completely uninterrupted and it is great and all four of these i think take us they move on a step from season one season one was really good but it felt to me it had like that line of duty feel to it it was about breaking down barriers and tripping people up in the you know in the cracker classic style you know sort of mind versus mind to outwit the criminal all four of these wrong foot you at one point where they're not quite what you think they are it's that they're, they're they're very cleverly constructed they're almost like a little puzzle box in and of themselves and it isn't just about getting a confession out of a criminal there is a lot more going on here and i really really enjoyed it and i love the idea that you have those two cars you have the people in the room you have the people observing and how those two teams communicate and how they work out strategy between them and i love that the red rectangle which is the motif they use on the side of the observers it's the red light goes on when the when the recording started mm. they've moved away i think a touch i seem to recall in in the three episodes of season one there was more of a a personal aspect to it where they talked about you know mm. their personal lives became more of a thread there's a little bit of that in this but it seems a lot less it's much more about these 
four cases. Uh, but yeah, I watched all four of these pretty much in one evening. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. It's a great format. It's really compelling. And these performances are superb. The Kunal Nayar one in particular, I thought was excellent. Really, really good stuff. But are there, are there, is it just Criminal UK this time around? Is there a Germany, a Spain and a France this time? Or is it just a UK one this year? I think, I think it's just a UK one that's been released now okay i think there will be um those other um series those other yeah from different countries uh, as far as i'm aware but i think they're, they're i think they may be felt and i think this probably did happen actually that by they slightly emphasized in the marketing of the first series that it was this international unique international thing where you could watch the spanish version and the french version or whatever just focusing on this original british version now i think it's the right thing to do because it is great and i think george k and jim phil smith who created it and jim, jim phil smith who um uh, has directed it and has done a great job. I think they're beautifully made. Like what they make of the the, the small the the limited setting, you know mm. that the, the, literally the mm. interview room, the viewing area, and the outside bit by the staircase. Just three three locations in a studio is so brilliantly utilised that it never it's never visually dull in any way. In fact, it's it, it, intriguing the way it works, shot and edited is all brilliant. And um, I think it's good. I'm not going to get without getting into the yeah. I, I absolutely see what you're both saying about the the kit Harrington I think from their you know to, from the from their point of view I think I think they would say they're analyzing they're looking at they they are discussing if you like the problems around rape in 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 the British legal system and I think that would be and whatever else happens and however else it plays out I think they would you know their justification if you like is we are dealing with the issues and you come away with it thinking oh my god it's fucking difficult you know to get a conviction in this in this in this world and that and so I think you know there is some kind of justification before getting into the the whys and whereabouts of what ha what ha of the effects that what plays out might have on viewers etc so I think I, I think generally I think you know the fact that the Sharon Hogan one deals with vigilantism and pedophilia and all of that I think that you know that I think it's fucking bold stuff that they're doing within this very very um specific format that they've created so i think it is it is great right well that is netflix's criminal season two of which drops on wednesday september the 16th uh some other things out this week netflix also have jurassic world camp cretaceous which drops on friday september the 18th i haven't seen it our ben travis seen it at empire and said it skews quite young it is an animated cartoon type thing uh here's a dinosaur fact for you both did you know <laughs> that less time separates human beings from the tyrannosaurus rex than separates the tyrannosaurus from the stegosaurus no doesn't that blow your mind slightly we are closer chronologically to the T-Rex than the Stegosaurus was. I mean, okay, yeah, it's 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 quite a good fact, yeah. It's quite QI. Yeah, so I think that's a good fact. Also, it annoys me that this is Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous when Jurassic and Cretaceous periods are two completely separate periods in time. <laughs> oh, just, oh, I think you're fine. I mean, what a shame we didn't review this more <laughs> fully so that you could make that point repeatedly. But they do, they do adjoin. So I guess there was a day where the dinosaurs woke up in the Jurassic period and then went to sleep in the Cretaceous period, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Anyway. Um, more importantly, Us starts on Sunday on BBC One. 
which is David Nichols' adaptation of his own novel. Uh, I'm a huge David Nichols fan. Um, I think he's I think his books are great. And this stars Tom Hollander, Saskia Reeves, and Tom Taylor. And um, it's I've seen the first episode, and it's really really good. If you like the novel, this is about a kind of this is about Tom Hollander's character is a very uptight um, scientist. Funnily enough, um, his wife Saskia Reeves just just as he's planned this huge big family holiday, a grand tour of Europe with the three of them, she decides she, she's leaving him and the son. He has a very difficult, painfully awkward relationship with his son, and but they all decide to go off together on this lavish um, European tour. Paris and Amsterdam, etc. It's just I think David Nichols does a does had brilliantly judges um, his tone. So it's funny, it's beautifully observed. It is quite painful and awkward at times. Any other week we'd have reviewed it in full, and mm. but it's a ridiculous week. As I mentioned already for TV, but this is a really good four part um, BBC One drama starting on Sunday. Anything else out there we should be aware of? There are new series of um, High Maintenance and Room 104, which are kind of ongoing American shows, um, mm. HBO shows, which are both on Sky Comedy. Um, they have their fans, I would say. <laughs> and um, there is one other thing. Oh, you know what I wanted to mention, actually? Quick, this is going to go on for hours, this podcast. Oh, FBI Most Wanted is a spin-off from FBI, and that starts on Sky Witness. FBI is, it has been a huge hit in America. It's a it sounds procedural. like a Terry show. Yeah, it's yeah, a Terry show. Yeah, I was show. like, how have I not watched this? Yeah, well, now you've got Most Wanted as well, which... Um, which I think you would like. Yeah, it's it's mm. Julian Julian McMahon's in it out of Nip Tuck, wow. um, who's always good. But I also want and to he mention- was in Charmed as he was yes. a very very significant character in Charge. He played right. Cole and the source of all evil. <laughs> right, and I wanted to mention that. The as we go out on Monday, this week's episode of Lovecraft Country is episode five, which I consider to be one of the best single episodes of TV this year. It's up there with that Gangs of London one. Mm. Um, this is the one where also episode five. Yeah, also episode five. Exactly. How weird. Where one Mimasako's character Ruby body swaps with a white woman. That's the premise of the episode, and it is. If you want to, if people you want to know what white privilege is, watch this mm. episode of Lovecraft Country. It's also a disgustingly, brilliantly gory and hideous. The transformations—they are fantastically horrendous. If you're a, if you're a horror fan, so yeah, I would mention that. Okay, and what would our pick of the week be? And this is a little bit of a oh, tricky one. It's hard. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> mm. I'm going to say the third day. Yeah, I think I am as well, actually. Yeah. Just for sheer yeah. balls out batshit ness. Yeah. I think that's probably fair for me. It's either the third day or criminal. It's pretty close. But yes, the third day is certainly something I've not seen before. But all good shows this week. All good shows. Incredible Lots week. Let's yeah. see. Keep you busy. Keep you busy for the next week. <laughs> you uh, sounded like Terry Wogan there. <laughs> Keep you busy for the next week. Oh, 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 I'm just <laughs> <such> a radio <laughs> crew. <laughs> Terry Wogan. <laughs> that is, of course, exactly what I was going for. Um, and right. then you just sounded like Alan Bartridge. <laughs> Which you always do, yeah. <laughs> anyway, if we've finished Abuse of James, um, should we have a Banshee? The Banshee segment, of course, being where we take an old show and resurrect it for modern audiences to re- or recommend it, I should say. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. What I never introduced. I, I'm very aware that with the Banshee segment, if I just say, what's your Banshee? If someone's new to the podcast, it's just gibberish. So occasionally I like to throw in a quick... By the way, I know it's called Banshee, which is essentially meaningless, but it is named after the Jonathan Tropper show. And it is, of course, an old show we don't think you've seen, we like. So here are some old shows. There you go. 
Mine is a very recent show. I think it's the most recent one I've ever done, but it has been cancelled, so it does fit. And it was suggested by... Is it Giri Hadji? (laughs) Giri Hadji, no, 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 no. no. Although actually, no, it's not. (laughs) A guy called Miles Nathan messaged me on Instagram saying, hi, boy, big fan of the podcast. You guys are brilliant. He's not missed an episode since launch. And he suggested Lodge 49, which is a show I've been meaning to watch for ages and ages. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, And he describes it as Indiana Jones meets the Big Lebowski meets Cheers. The Um, Big what? Big Lebowski. And did you just say Lebowski? I did. I did. In a kind of Jewish Polish pronunciation. I'm renaming it that. I would big, watch the Big Lebowski. It's the Big Lebowski. I would watch the Big Lebowski. <laughs> the big, exactly. Anyway, this it, there's two series of it. It's um it stars Wyatt Russell, who I love in everything. Is an incredibly um uh, charismatic screen presence it's created by a guy called jim gavin and it's almost indescribable it's basically the it's the premise is he's a an ex-surfer living in long beach california he's a lovely he's a kind of happy go lucky go lucky dude called dud and he discovers a ring on the beach and that leads him to finding a lodge a kind of um a kind of secret society if you like but in but less slightly less creepy than that it's basically a t- it's kind of a, a tv drama attempt to do a thomas pension thing but um you know so it's called lodge 49 after the crying of lot 49 which is a famous thomas pension book and i love thomas pension and i was disappointed by paul thomas anderson's adaptation of thomas pension i, I love paul thomas anderson but that's one of my least favorite of his films i thought it was a bit boring but this is great so i watched a couple of episodes inspired by the suggestion that we banshee it and it is really intriguing and difficult to describe and unusual obviously that's why it's been cancelled as we were talking about before because <laughs> it's because it's because it's not any kind of genre but wyatt russell is brilliant in it and it's and it's really interesting lodge 49 on Amazon Prime. Mm. Interesting. Well, mine this week has, has spawned out of our Tenet conversations. We recorded our Tenet spoiler special this week. There have been lots and lots of arguments about time travel. I got into a big old fight with Chris and Helen on Tenet because it became abundantly clear to me that neither of them understood the film. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> But at least you were there to tell them that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then I was chatting to someone on uh, on Twitter about time travel as well. So I have it into my head to talk about time travel. To wit, I am going to talk about 12 Monkeys. Not the Terry Gilliam film, but in fact the mm. TV spin-off which ran for four seasons beginning in 2015 but what's quite interesting about this one is is it didn't start out as a 12 monkeys tv series so this was uh this was a show that was written uh by terry metallis and and travis fickett who did nikita and terranova tv series terranova another one which i shall bounce you at some point um but they had this this idea for a time travel show called splinter all about timelines and changing the past and whatnot and they took it in to be developed and it was kind of their undenial they nearly rejected it and then they kind of went back to them and said look we'd quite like to rebrand this much like we were talking about with rat like they had an idea and they wanted to hang it on an IP. So they said, can you hang it on 12 Monkeys? Can you take this demented, bizarre, surreal Terry Gilliam film that no one watched? And can you please turn this into a TV series? So they did. And they made this this four-season series, which starred, um, starred Aaron Stanford. And it, it, it had sort of, broadly speaking, the same characters. But really, it 
paid lip service to the film in the first episode, but after that, it really diverged quite heavily. Um, but it was quite fun. It was, you know, it wasn't a brilliant show, but it had certainly some bold ideas, and they had took an interesting approach to time travel because, you know, there are, as as became abundant when we were discussing Tenet, there are multiple different models you can use for time travel, from the many worlds theory to you know the, the linear timeline. But then, do you have closed loops, closed causal loops, or do you have a changeable timeline? Anyway, I won't bore you with that. Suffice it to say, this this round oh, four do. years. <laughs> Well, Terry, let's talk about causal loops, shall we? Did you talk about causal loops on the Tenet spoiler special? Please uh, tell me did you we did. we talk about causal loops? I don't know that we actually got into that aspect. Oh, okay. I got it into a Twitter afterwards. But the idea, of course, being so Prisoner of Azkaban uses the model of time travel where it's not many worlds, it's a single timeline, but it uses a causal loop, meaning that the person from the future who affects the past had always done that. So you're just fulfilling a pre-written prophecy. So it's almost like there's no free will. So Hermione had always gone back with a time turner and actually she appears in those scenes all along. So those two people always coexisted. Whereas a lot of stuff like uh, Back to the Future or The Terminator, the future goes back to the past, alters the past, which alters the future. So it's whether you have the uh, ontological paradox or the grandfather paradox. <laughs> and there, here, here ends my TED talk. <laughs> it's amazing that you're so interested in time, right? In time issues and such. But you don't fucking watch Doctor Who, which deals with this in you know much more interesting and granular detail than any other show ever made, especially the Stephen Moffat era. Moffat made time, famously Timey Wimey, the whole absolutely fascinating. She was um, saying it's because you know, like my view of Doctor Who is that like I have it in my head that it's like a panto with lots of people dressed up as Cybermen. Like in my head, just, that's basically just what Doctor Who is. Jesus, and I wept. can't really get away from that feeling of it. Um, so well, yeah, maybe yeah. I should. But then, didn't we say that you were going to get me to watch an episode? Like I was oh, going to yeah. watch the one with the angels or something because that's the one yeah, that everyone thinks is the best one. Yeah. No, I don't yeah. think I did. Oh, that's a very timely episode, actually. That's a yeah. brilliant timely episode. Yeah. yeah. Blink, right. blink, All right. blink. Point, blink. Okay, I will do that. I may not do it for next week, or I may do. We'll see how time goes. But I will watch Blink and see if somehow you can win me over to the Hoovian side of things. It well, seems no, unlikely. We won't be able to because also you're a pain in the ass, which means now you now you've assumed this position for. Yeah several years yeah. there is no way on god's green earth unless you actually manage to turn back time that james dyer is going to have to admit that doctor who's all right that's yeah, so, just not going to happen see terry we're in a causal loop i always dislike doctor who and unfortunately nothing can change that now <laughs> well also if time's not linear which it's not then you've definitely always hated and always will and future you hates doctor who so there's nothing we can do in the present that's going to make you change your mind that's <laughs> true Anyway, anyway, did you have a time travelling banshee, Terry? <laughs> no, but I did have um, Mary Kills People. Uh, we haven't done this, right? No? I don't think, I don't so. think so. No, I'm sure this is the point when somebody's going to, somebody who's better organised than anybody on this podcast <laughs> yeah. is going get, to get in touch and tell us they have a spreadsheet. It, it must be said, I have, it's possible the spreadsheet has fallen behind by about four weeks or so and also i've only been filling out my banshees because i always do it beforehand so i haven't been putting yours in there so i do it before the show and i don't know what yours are at that point it's but... like we don't exist and this <laughs> yeah. podcast only is here to be a platform for james I mean, yeah. imagine yeah. <laughs> but it, so if the uh, the lovely listener who who created the spreadsheet has been updated it please send me an updated one that would be much appreciated <laughs> uh, I think you can send that to James at you 3 rfuckingshambles.com. <laughs> right, so Mary Kills People. It is a Canadian drama comedy, and yes, that's right, 
drama comedy, not a dramedy, because that's not a real fucking word. Um, and it's starring Caroline de Herveness. Is that how I say it, boy? De Herveness. <laughs> it's not the beginning of the Muppets theme. <laughs> de Herveness. De um, Davernanus. Oh, whatever. Oh, God. It's Daverna. 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 It stars Caroline Davernas. Um, She's a single mum and a doctor in the ER who basically performs assisted suicides on people with terminal illness. Um, and essentially, you initially think it's in exchange for money. Um, she's got kind of a expensive ex who she's still supporting. She's raising two kids on her own. Um, but as this season's, and there was three, I think, in total, 2017 to 2019, unfold, you learn that it's actually more to do with her background and something she went through. Um, as a child and it raises lots of interesting things around who has the right to decide who dies and when um do we all as human beings have the right to decide that for ourselves? is she actually a sociopath or a psychopath um is there something she gets out of it which is above and beyond kind of a, a financial um hit and i'm feeling like she's doing good in the world um last of three seasons it's all on all for channel 4d Mm. What do we call it? All four uh, channel all four. four. All four. All four. All four. All the fours. All four. It's all on all four. Mary kills people. Wow. And that is it. <laughs> For this week's episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. If you have enjoyed the show, rambling and time travelly as it has been, then do feel free to leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, preferably one with as many superlatives as possible. Uh, if you want to agree or disagree with me about time travel, then feel free to do so on Twitter or Instagram at James C. Dyer. In fact, feel free to talk to Terry about it as well, because she'd love that, at Terry <laughs> underscore White. And of course, at Boyd Hilton. On next week's show, we should, fingers crossed, get our first look at the remake of Dennis Kelly's masterful utopia which I'm very very excited about this time of course adapted by Gillian Flynn so if you're looking for a down-to-earth relatable everyday drama about a deadly virus that plagues the population then this one has you covered until then though pilot out <laughs>